Hey guys, it's the Princess of Pro Wrestling, SoCal Val, and you are listening to the wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, The Whole Reffin' Show. And now, the wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, The Whole Reffin' Show. Hello, hello, hello! And welcome to episode 145 of the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, the whole reffin' show. I am Darren Beasley. I am Perry Smith. And we are the hosts of the whole reffin' show. But you knew that, didn't you, hashtag dear listeners? Yes, yes you did. I hope you're all nodding along. While you have your AirPods in and you just look like a crazy person. No, not anymore. Back in the day when, like, Bluetooths were new and it was the joke of, like, people talking to Bluetooth and it's like, Oh, you were talking to me the whole time! Now it's pretty commonplace. It is pretty commonplace. It's so commonplace that when I look out at my classroom and I see these little dangly white things in all the kids' ears and then I yell at them and tell them to put them away because I don't want them listening to... Uh, Megan V. Stallion or Lil Nas X while I'm talking about Samuel Adams and the Sons of Liberty. I don't know what any of that stuff that you just said was. Well, I'm sorry that you're not up on contemporary hip-hop or American revolutionaries. I'm not. You, you think, though, that by now there'd be, like, flesh-toned covers you can get for your uh, earbuds so people couldn't, you know... Be a bit more, a bit more on the down low. You're like, put that, put those earbuds away, and you're like, no, Mr. Beasley, this, Mr. Beasley, this is my hearing aid. And they'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry, ha <laughs> ha, stupid, is what I would do. Yeah, well, I, is it aiding you in hearing uh, some really, really, really awful rap music? Because that's what they're all listening to. Uh, okay, okay. And I'm a big fan of rap. You mean Samuel Adams? Not a good rapper? Is <laughs> that what this is about? He's not. He's not. Yeah. Dear listeners, this is the whole reference show. It's a wrestling podcast. And so we're going to talk about wrestling. There's a lot of wrestling to talk about. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about Big E. He's finally the champion. And WWE has the worst timing ever. Everybody gets the belt too early or too late. Sure. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Samoa Joe. We know that he got a WWE Championship a little while ago. The NXT Championship, to be precise. But what is the fate of this title reign for Mr. Joe? I don't know, but NXT is a hot topic this week. It's a hot topic for this episode of the whole and Show. And by NXT, of course, I mean NXT 2.0. Or as I dubbed it, uh, McManXT. McManXT. It is. That's good. I like it. I like it. Well, good. Because uh, I dubbed it. It's 2.0. How long are they going to keep the 2.0 in the name? It's in all the branding. It's in the logo, sort of. And they don't say NXT without saying NXT 2.0. There's no way that sticks around, though, right? You know what this reminds me of? What's when they, that? When they rebranded uh, the Legion of Doom, Legion of Doom 2000. Uh, Remember that horrible idea? I do. That's what this is. 
And Sonny was their manager? You can you can put a new... And I'm fine with that. You can put a new paint job on anything. You know, you can close can you, out... You can close down an Applebee's and reopen it with brighter with a new paint job and say, under new management on the marquee. But it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's still microwave mashed potatoes that are on your plate in the shape of the plastic bag they came in. I will never forgive the laziest Applebee's cook ever who gave me an entire plate of food that was all in the shape of the pouches that it was cooked in. And a suspension of disbelief, folks. It's just like wrestling. I know that all the Applebee's food is shit and that it's sitting in the back prepackaged and they're just throwing it in a microwave. But it's like you do with your dog's food. You don't just leave it there in the shape of the can. You take a fork and you mash it up just a little bit. And you, you go, look, look, it's an actual meal. Look, it's not, I tried. It's not, yes. Right. Not here is your Applebee's dog food, you, you dog of a person. You don't throw it at your dog and say, dinner time, dog. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. And you, you, don't, you don't beat them like a dog in the street, <laughs> as Darren says, Darren's dad would say. Yeah, you don't, you don't beat them at all. You join them. NXT 2.0 is full of a bunch of people getting their ass beat. I will say that. The one thing that they immediately did is exactly what was rumored. And it is that there are a shit pile of hosses being shoehorned into the spin art brand. And they are all just going out there and manhandling medium to small size men. And I, and I say that critically but it's not all bad. It's really not all bad. Some of these brick shit houses were pretty fun to watch. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I, I must say. What, what happens though when you have one brick shit house fight another brick shit house, Darren? Well, uh, once upon a time that was called the WWF, and it was pretty good. The ones who were good were good, but like, what good is a Lars Sullivan against another Lars Sullivan? It could be very good. We we've seen. A bulldozer fight a cement mixer truck <laughs> to uh, to disaster and uh, in, in some matches in WWE. Are you talking about every time Goldberg and Lesnar get in the ring together? There's that, sure, sure, sure. But I mean, it's it's uh, you know, Strowman can beat three guys a week, or Big Show can beat three guys a week, and when they fight another big guy who you know wrestles about as well as they do. It's not fun to watch. Like you, you think it would be. I don't know. I... The, the, the concept is like, oh, that's interesting. But then the actual execution is like, oh man. Sure, I can get behind that. I that, can get that, behind that that that's a problem they're going to run into. But you can't. I'm not a fan of this rebranding of NXT at all. I don't think anyone really is. But you can't fault Vince McMahon's thinking in that if all the little fast, kicky, flippy people on AEW. That I'm making another brand that's all big hosses, you know, all big slabs of meat clacking on each other. It's it, really not a bad idea. Well, the, th the thing is, wrestling, there's not one way to wrestle. You know what I mean? I do there's know not it. one style of wrestling um, that can be appealing. So he can go, he can, he can make this dramatic turn in this direction. It's his company, he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, uh, don't. Yeah, no. Nobody needs to forget that part. To his credit, he can he can do that. That's fine. I don't like it. I liked NXT the way it was. I thought it was it was fine the way it was. But 
it's his party. He can cry if he wants to. Uh, so it this is interesting. It's not what anyone would do except Vince McMahon, but you can't fault Vince McMahon for being Vince McMahon, I suppose. Well, maybe you shouldn't, but a lot of people do. I've done it. Okay, we've all been there. All right, but NXT 2.0 isn't the only uh, company that brought a lot of eyes to itself this week, but NXT 2.0 brought a lot of critical eyes to it. A lot of people saying, what the hell is this? It looks like they're filming it at Nickelodeon Studios in 1993 anyone get slimed and you know what would you do and it's it's super sloppy nxt is what it is okay Uh, but it's not just nxt that's getting eyes this week it is dynamite 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 aew show uh i actually watched last week's dynamite from september the 15th i believe and it was a pretty good show we got the in-ring debut of adam cole Wrestling in AEW for the first time against Frankie Kazarian. Sorry, I'm not a fan. (laughs) But the big show was this. And I don't mean Paul White because he's not going by big show. Although I got to say the AEW shirt, Paul White's AEW shirt says no more BS. BS for big show. I I, <laughs> I like it. That's pretty cool. I like that. No more BS. Um, but the big show this week, the wrestling show to watch, was Dynamite. From Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York, we got Dynamite. And it opens with a, the biggest match of the year, right? Probably. Yeah. Certainly the biggest wrestling match that's happened in the United States in 2021 and likely to remain the biggest one unless we get Danielson Punk before the end of the year. Well, okay. Well, we'll leave it at that because unlike the NXT thing, we basically talked about the NXT thing. As you said, we're going to talk about the NXT thing. We'll actually come back to this one later on. All right. And believe me, there's still plenty of NXT to talk about. There's plenty of everything to talk about. Sure. But... Uh, the last thing that we were, are going to talk about on this particular episode is one of the hottest topics of uh, of this week, and it's something that happened a very long time ago. Oh, okay. And I, that <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Clearly, I forgot what that was. You said that, and I was like, "Oh my god, what is it?" Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what is it? It's the episode of Dark Side of the Ring. That Vice News or Vice or whatever. He used Vice. Released this week. They pulled a McMahon and shortened it. Yeah. Well, they made a new episode of Dark Side of the Ring. An excellent documentary series. Although, it could be argued they're starting to jump the shark. We'll see. I can't help myself but watch these. But when I realized that it was all going to be... I mean, they are fucking hit pieces is what they are. And it is called Dark Side of the Ring. So to be fair, they're not going to be like, look how great wrestling is. Well, what's funny about it is it's you say that and it's it's repercussions for something that happened a long time ago involving someone, you know, who was actually in the situation that's being discussed. But oddly enough, repercussions for someone... Talking about it in the episode who oh. was not involved, 
like you know, we'll get to that a bit later, which I find even more interesting. I yeah, I can't wait to talk it's about like, that. Wow, that's it's like oh man, it's crazy. Well, what are we talking about? What is Dark Side of the Ring? What was the episode about? It was the plane ride from hell. Right. The infamous chartered plane ride from the UK back to the United States with WWE wrestlers that resulted in people getting knocked out, people getting drugged, people getting sexually assaulted, people getting their hair cut, people being punched out in their sleep, sex, drugs, and rock and roll in all of the worst manifestations of those things. Uh, however many thousand feet in the air an airplane is. Yeah. And uh, over the Atlantic Ocean uh, with adults uh, who are also professionals who are behaving like a bunch of drunk frat boys that uh, don't understand that there are consequences for their actions. And there may be. I think there's, there's suddenly 20 years later going to be consequences for these actions. We'll see. Uh, well, there were some consequences. We, we will talk about this again. I, I'm looking forward to getting into this uh, with you. But first, let's start from the beginning. You have a new Universal Champion, folks. Big E. Uh, One-third of the trio that is the New Day. Uh, Two-thirds of which have officially be have been Universal Champions. Sorry, Xavier Woods. I just don't see it in the cards for you, bud. Um, well, he doesn't care. He just wants to have a YouTube video game channel anyway. He doesn't really care. No, he cares. Apparently there's a big push for him wanting to become King of the Ring uh, really badly. Yeah, but it's... You know this guy. I think his real name is Austin Creed, right? I have I saw him once at Harry's Restaurant, okay? <laughs> Wearing a Gears of War hoodie. I, that, I, I discussed this happening. Exactly. So I don't not, know the guy. I'm not saying he's not a good athlete. I'm not saying he's not a good wrestler. But when that guy... He really began to irritate me a few years ago with the Up, Up, Down, Down channel and uh, refusing to use his kayfabe name uh, anywhere except on WWE programming when clearly that's the reason anybody gives a shit about him because he is Xavier Woods. Doesn't mean he doesn't have other good endeavors. Doesn't mean he doesn't have something worthwhile to watch. But you know why they're watching or why they originally came to watch. And I don't like that. Well, Austin Creed is an amazing name. Okay, well then don't go by Xavier Woods. I'm, I'm just saying that's an amazing name. Uh, secondly, I think he was just trying to protect his show. And to separate it from WWE. Because I know that's a big thing these days. Where Vince McMahon wants control of everyone's everything. Um, but at the same time, I think Up, Up, Down, Down is somehow affiliated with WWE. Exactly. So, I mean, there, but there may be a deal there. Like, hopefully he still gets money for his own thing is my thing. And I hope he does too. I just don't like that Xavier Woods is the perfect example of, oh, Xavier Woods is a character that I play on television. Because really, I am I'm Austin Creed, and uh, I'm an uh, you know I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a Renaissance man. I I got a lot of irons in the fire. It's like, come on, dude. Nobody cares about you except that you are Xavier Woods, and they like that you're this sort of eccentric dude who you, you dressed up as Rufio, who plays the Final Fantasy victory theme on his trombone like <laughs> we get it we, we we're picking up what you're laying down we're nerds just like you are uh austin creed 
But if you want to be Xavier Woods, then be Xavier Woods. If you want to be Austin Creed, then fine. Go off and be Austin Creed. What I don't like is your being a WWE superstar is just one more Pokemon that you feel like you got to catch. Wow. Okay. And that's what Xavier Woods is to me. Is he, He's like, well, you know, I really like wrestling, and I like movies, and I like music, and I like video games, so uh, I'm going to do all of it. And it's like, are you, though? I, I say do do all of it. Uh, I, I, I understand what you're saying. But but I th- I think what you're you're angry at the big picture, which is the whole like muddying of like wrestlers and, exactly. and them making no bones about oh that's all hashtag fake bullshit. I I get it. I totally understand that. Um, I'm more of like I think wrestlers should own their own stuff away from WWE. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Okay. But I, I think back to the first time, maybe not the first time. But no, defini- no, you said the first time. Okay, maybe it was the first time. It definitely, it feels like the first it time. Was the it feels mu- like the very first time. Well, we saved the best for first, and that's all I'm really <laughs> concerned about. I remember when uh, uh, here we are bringing her back up. When Heidi Loveless became Ruby Riot in the WWE, and it was actually stated. I read it in an article about Ruby, although now I don't recall if she said it or if she said it was said to her, but she had no problem. And of course, now we know it's probably because she didn't like her own name, Heidi Loveless. But at the time, it seemed like she was saying she had no problem going by Ruby Riot because Ruby Riot was a character that she was going to play in the WWE. And when I heard that put that way specifically for the first time and knew that it came from Stanford, oh my God, did it bother me. I, I understand that. To me, to me, when I hear you say that, it makes me more so think that like, you know, uh, I don't know what his real name is. Uh, Kamu Mustafa, Papa Shango. Oh, uh, Charles Wright. There you go. It's one thing for him to say, like, you know, he's Papa Shango, and then, you know, he's on a bus somewhere, or a plane, I don't know. And someone's He's like, on a bus. I, I don't know, I, I chose... He's uh, just riding a bus. I chose, like, him just being out and about and seeing someone and them going, Hey, aren't you Papa Shango? Like, aren't you this voodoo doctor? And he'd be like, no, that's a character I play on TV. I'm a guy. You know what I mean? Or, I'm not really a pimp. You know what I mean? Like, I get that. Where it's like, oh, that's a character I play. Or, you know, Mark Calloway somewhere, and like, you're the Undertaker! Okay, I'm not really a, a zombie walking around putting people in body bags in real life. Whereas, like, Xavier Woods and Austin Creed might as well be the same person. Because they are. I know, that's, I'm trying to pinpoint exactly what your rage is, uh, just in case some people aren't quite following what you're saying. Okay, well then, a- a- Am I right? You, you're right, and okay. let me illustrate it. Uh, there, there's, zero, there's zero difference between Ruby Soho, Dory Prang, Heidi Loveless... Heidi Lovelace and uh, Ruby, Ruby Riot. Riot. They're all the same exact person. Hey, I'm a very good wrestler who loves punk music. All right. Now, exactly. If I can give you an even better example because it happened on screen and makes me want to rip my eyeballs out of my head. When when he became Coach Buzz? <laughs> Glacier and Coach no, Buzz. just when Ray Lloyd was alive. Okay. That's uh, okay, yeah. when he just was a person who okay. existed in the world. 
no, 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 no. I mean, yes, that's that's irritating as well. But though the 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 better example of Ruby, Heidi, Dory, whatever, is when Tommy End originally signed with WWE to wrestle in NXT, and we, you and I, we saw him wrestle as Alistair Black in NXT at a house show, but his actual first on-screen appearance was at the NXT UK. first ever NXT UK tournament. And they called him Tommy. And they called him okay. Tommy End. I see where this is going. Even though he was Tommy End, he wasn't Tommy End under the WWE banner. He was Aleister Black. And yet he came out as Tommy End at the NXT UK tournament. And yet the very next time he appeared on NXT, and every time after that, he was Aleister Black. And there was no difference yeah. between those two characters. You know, I, I agree 100%, Darren. You you know how I feel about name changes on the fly. <gasps> when Daria Baronado became Sonya Deville, like, overnight. And I was like, no! No! This isn't just a new... We didn't, like, you know, we didn't hit the... The super collider didn't sway us into another timeline where all of a sudden this is her name now. This is not the Mandela effect, unless maybe it is, and I'm going crazy because I'm the only one that remembers her being Daria Baronado. Super Collider. The Super Su Collider. Super Collider sounds like it would have been the name of an NWA wrestler. Oh, yeah. Who yeah. wrestled at, like, the Chi-Town Rumble. Oh, it is Beautiful Bobby Eaton versus the Super Collider. Well, you know... Eaton's taking a dive on that one. Um, there, <laughs> because he's going to be collided with superly. Right, okay. Well, we said nothing about Big E. We've only talked about Xavier Woods. So we're going <laughs> to move on. Uh, so, okay, I understand what you're saying. And there's no fixing that. It's just wrestlers want to not legally lose their names to the WWE. I get it. I know it's a muddy, muddy, muddy thing. And, and I hate that for them. And you got to do your best to protect your freaking name. In the event that you will be future endeavored, and it will happen to all of you at some point, and that's just the way the business is. Uh, Big E, though, is your champion. Big E won the Money in the Bank briefcase at Money in the Bank and said he was going to cash it in, and you know what? He did. Uh, he cashed it in on uh, Bobby Lashley and actually defeated Lashley and won the belt. Uh, kind of out of nowhere, which is, uh, I don't know if it's Vince saying, like, we need to shake things up and have surprises on the show. Or I don't know what the thought process there actually was for Big E to become champion. Uh, I'm a fan of Big E, and I, I've always said if any of the three could be a could be a, a universal champion or you know whatever, it would be him because I've I've always liked him. Um, I, I think the because of this, the New Day has kind of toned it down a bit. You know, they're not as silly as they were, um, but. I, you mean they're not talking about bootios and throwing pancakes? Well, that's probably and still happening. Unicorns? Right. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still a firm believer, and if you want to save the new day, you have to break the new day up immediately, um, so they can come back later. Um, because I mean, they're they're easily the most their most decorated tag team in WWFE history at this point. You know why? Why? Because they've been together the longest. They're the longest-running 
tag team champions at this point. Um, because they have to be, yeah. Because they didn't be. get fired and go to WCW for a while and leave there and come back for a bit and go back to WCW for a little while. And then one of them got sent to rehab for drugs sure, or, while the other one had a solo career or for one, a little while. one got into a car wreck and couldn't wrestle anymore, so the tag team was broken up, so they didn't get back together again. You have to look at it in those terms. And I don't know what the New Day thinks, and I've, I've always said this, I don't know what the New Day thinks Vince McMahon owes them, besides being gainfully employed oh, forever, yeah. besides having the longest tag team title reign in history uh especially for being a trio which kind of makes it unfair uh, because if someone is injured i.e xavier woods then the other two can carry the ball and run with it um kofi kingston's been employed by vince mcmahon for a zillion years he got the mark henry deal without getting the mark henry deal apparently um because it seems like he has been there forever and he's won plenty of titles so when he became champion and we discussed this when he became champion it was like fine but why because he's a he's a consistent worker and he's he's been he's been rewarded, you know. That's what I always say about like, um, you know, well the, the the big Hollywood movies they never get any Oscars when Oscar season come around. It's because yeah, because money is its own reward. Yeah, those poor souls get to go cry into their hundred dollar bills at home. And that's the thing is like they're they're silly, you know, doing the, the new day stuff and they're great at doing that. Don't get me wrong, and they are good wrestlers. They've had some great matches with the Usos. Um, as much as I got tired of seeing those two tag teams wrestle each other, they had some great matches because they're they're all capable wrestlers. And that Pit Fighter way, which I love, the Buzz, the Kato, and the tie. But I I I think you need to change things up a bit. Now is the time for WWE to take my New Day idea, Darren. Especially now that Big E is the champion. Never t- never tell you about this. Yes, but I would love for you to tell okay, me again. Okay, I may have even said this in the podcast, but a quick refresher, especially now that Big E is champion, I say this, you break up the New Day, and here is how. You get you get Kofi, who is the former Universal Champion, and, and Big E, and they're kind of like back and forth about the direction of the New Day, like, you know, we, we should do this, and Kofi's like, no, nah, man, we gotta stick to our roots and be this way, whatever. Xavier Woods kind of caught in the middle, He's kind of like the deciding vote of like, what should we do? Who are you going to go with? Big E, you're going to go with Kofi. So eventually it leads to Xavier like hitting Big E with the, the chair. And it's like, oh my God, I guess, I guess Xavier's made his decision. He's turned on Big E. Then he hits Kofi with the chair too. And Xavier kicks both of them out of the new day. And he brings in replacements. Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins. Yes, I like... So now it's a new, new day. And this is the new, new day. I like it. I like that a lot. But it breaks up the new day. Big E can just be the champion. He can be Big E Langston. You know, and not have to be the bootios, throwing pancakes in the audience guy. He can be... Like, the same way that, like, anyone who becomes champion, all of a sudden they're wearing suits, they're riding around in limousines. Big E kind of becomes that. And, I, and Kofi's kind of this lost soul, doesn't know where to go, what to do. And later down the road, you know, we, we you figured out a way to, to, to make it all, you know, come back together again. But I, again, I, the way to save the New Day is to break up the New Day. I agree. I agree. And I think that that's absolutely the direction they need to go with for Big E. Uh, he doesn't need to be a stupid, silly cartoon champion. He needs to be a big, strong 
imposing badass. That's what he was. You know, like he is. Yeah. And you add to that a little bit of class. You know, you class him up with the suit or you put him in a limousine or you give him an arm piece or hell just put a pair of of <laughs> ray-bans on him right um put him on could a you yuck. see him in a suit getting out of a limousine yeah. and like put him put him in a put him in a linen suit at the uh, on the on the bow of a yacht yeah man and with his belt over his shoulder big e could play high class champion i think even better than bobby lashley did and bobby lashley looks damn good in a suit but Big E is so much better of a performer and an actor than Bobby Lashley that Big E could be big time entertainment. And I definitely, as much as I like your idea of Xavier recruiting uh, a new New Day, and Street Profits are perfect for that. Uh, a Kato and a a Kato and a Buzz type. Uh, exactly. I my favorite part of that would be Kofi feuding with Xavier. I don't want to see Kofi or Xavier feud with Big E. It's too lopsided, and I just don't like the idea of it. Sure. I really like the idea of an Xavier Woods-Kofi Kingston uh, series of matches, you know? It's like uh, a best of three, you know? They, they, they each take one, there's a rubber match, or they fight, you know, an unspecified number of matches, five, six, or seven, over the course of 12 to 18 months, just intermittently. I think it's... I think it's good. I think they would put on good matches. Well, because you haven't seen them fight each other. Exactly. <laughs> that's, about, exactly. That's, that's about all that's left, yeah. But you mentioned Biggie going back to using the name Langston. I read somewhere that, I, that that's what they were going to do. And that they were going to do it because he was appealing for that. That Big E himself was like, I'm tired of just being Big E. I don't want to be a letter. An adjective and a letter. That's not a name. But Big E Langston, all you do is you just throw that Langston in there, and suddenly it's a badass name. Yeah, yeah. You know, E, I, I think the, the whole E uh, in his name is a reference to his real name. I think his, his first and last name, uh, his, his shoot first and last name both start with an E. And Langston, I would presume, uh, is a reference to Langston Hughes, uh, poet of the Harlem Renaissance, who... You know, is a a revered figure in uh, literature and entertainment for African Americans, and uh, I've always presumed that that's what the Big E Langston, the Langston part, was referring to. And I think if that, especially if that's the case, that that's the name he needs to bring back. He needs sure. to bring back the Langston part. I'm all for people having full names in the WWE. We all know how Vince McMahon feels about that. I mean, he hates it and you forbids can ask, it. You can ask Riddle about that. Ugh. I I know, I know, I know why he's just Riddle. So very, very quickly, um, very quickly, Big E being champion. I'm a, I like that he is champion. I don't like that it happened. I don't. I don't. There's there was zero surprise about it because he said he was gonna cash in his money the bank contract. He did that. He won. He's champion. And like I've always said, you can only become champion for the first time once. I don't like it for him. But I'm sure he'll gladly accept it. And he'll take what he can get. So good for you, uh, Big E. That's it. It's kind of like, and this is a rare example of something like that happening a long time ago. It's like the first time The Undertaker won the WWF Championship. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was so brief and so out of nowhere and odd that you found yourself wondering afterward if it was an accident. You know what I mean? Right. Like, well, especially in those days when only Hulk I mean. Hogan was champion, it was like, did he really kill Hulk Hogan? 
Exactly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of killing a champion, uh, Samoa Joe. He does it to himself. He does it to himself. Uh, why don't you tell us about that? Oh, just uh, Samoa Joe beating Karrion Cross, becoming your NXT champion. Uh, this we knew. And what's the one thing we always said was negative about Samoa Joe and maybe why he never got like a big, big title in WWE? Um, he's made out of glass. He's made out of glass. Uh, Samoa Joe, big tough guy, make no mistake, but he is very, very injury prone, which might be why Vince was hesitant to put any uh, major titles on him. And might actually indicate that he's not big and tough after all. Okay, well, I didn't say that, you did, but uh, it appears that uh, the, it, it happened. He became the NXT champion and uh, he his, his glass shattered. Uh, he is injured and he had to um, give up the belt. He vacated the, tie, the NXT championship. I guess if this were going to happen, it couldn't have happened at a better time. Because as we start talking about NXT 2.0 in just a minute, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about NXT 2.0 for weeks and months to come, did Samoa Joe coming back, back to the NXT and being the first ever, is he the first ever three-time champion? I believe so. All If that's true... All of that combined, I don't think fits with NXT 2.0. Yes, he's a hoss, but by being not just a veteran, but, you know, he is no spring chicken. Bringing him back in the fashion that he came back and then making him your flagship in this, again, like I said, Nickelodeon Studios version of wrestling, Samoa Joe doesn't fit in that. So maybe this injury... It's actually timed well, not for Joe, but for NXT. That I mean, it, it's possible. T- to me, it seems like Samoa Joe came back to NXT not as like an NXT uh, alum, but more of like a, oh, I'm a Vince guy now. Like he came back with his Vince McMahon t-shirt on and said, now they're putting me up, they're putting me over. So I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's how you look at it, I suppose, but... Regardless, he wasn't champion for long. He did get hurt. I think it may have been like an ankle injury, something like that. I'm not totally sure what kind of injury it was. Uh, he'll get better over time. But I don't like the response, which was an immediate, uh, what, four corners match to, be, to, uh, to get a new NXT champion? That seems very rushed. How about there's just no NXT champion for a while? Like maybe into your next pay-per-view at least? Because it does seem very, like, thrown together. Like, you had zero contingency plan. And who? Uh, I don't know. Uh, you and you and you and you. And the winner becomes champion. So you have a four-way match with Tommaso Ciampa, former NXT champion. Kyle O'Reilly, Pete Dunne, and LA Knights. Tommaso Ciampa wins the four-way match. And he is now your NXT champion. I'm all for Ciampa being champion. Uh, actually, out of all of the four men I just named, I would have been okay with any of them except for LA Knights being the NXT champion. And I'm surprised he did not end up being champion. Same and same. Yeah, I'm very surprised that they didn't go a whole new direction. Uh, I'll say one thing. Pete Dunne, I, I'd never say enough good things about Pete Dunne, I feel. I love that guy's wrestling ability. He is so good. He is so good. They need to hold on to him forever. And I think they actually renegotiated his stuff 
recently to keep him around. I'm pretty sure. He's also a hell of a promo. Yeah, yeah. He can talk. He can wrestle any kind of style, it seems. Like, you can put him in a match with anyone, and it's going to be really, really good. And he is a living, breathing Peaky Blinder. Yes. And I don't know what that means, but I know that he is. I know that he is it. I know he is that, yes. When they make an NXT UK movie, because that's something they would make. Sure. Killian Murphy would play Pete Dunne. Oh, he'd have to... He'd have to do some some push-ups. Uh, I mean, Pete Dunn's, you know, he's not some big... He's not... Surprised he's in NXT at all. It's in Killian Now Murphy that they're supposed little, to be, like... Little one-foot guy. Yeah, but he's, he's a beefy dude. He, he he lost some weight. He's a bruiser weight, actually, he, you know? You're right about that. Uh, well, anyway, but... So, I, I I don't like that the there was a new champion immediately... I love Tommaso Ciampa. I take nothing away from him. I don't like how that was handled. You know, this was so rushed. I thought it was an AEW TV show. Whoa! More on that later. Wow! Wow! Um, so, but but this to me that could be a sign of things to come. Your new champion instantly injured. There's this scramble to have some sort of champion presence on your TV. Um, to me, it, it seems like a, a, a rocky a rocky start, a rocky takeoff to NXT 2.0. Uh, perhaps, uh, as far as the production value, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's studio wrestling. It, there's no doubt about it. The only thing that is more studio wrestling than NXT 2.0 is NWA Power. But NWA Power knows exactly what it's doing. Right. It's not just studio wrestling. It's not just wanting to be studio wrestling. It is a living anachronism, and it is an intentionally a living anachronism. When you watch NWA Power, you don't know what year it is. Mm-hmm. The NXT 2.0 is almost like that, because I keep saying Nickelodeon Studios wrestling, and that's really what it feels like. And because I know that it is in Orlando, and there is no more Nickelodeon Studios, it may actually be at Nickelodeon Studios, because they're not at full sale anymore. Right. So that's the thing. They're in a a bigger arena, but it looks like a soundstage. It looks like a big-ass warehouse, uh, you know, that Hollywood calls a soundstage, and they insulate it, they throw up a bunch of lights, and then they, you know, they can create uh, a Kansas cornfield uh, uh, or whatever you want. Well, NXT has created a... Spin art wrestling studio. I gotta stop you right there because you're explaining what goes on inside of a soundstage to a guy who was a Universal Studios tour guide for you know six years, or I had to explain to complete strangers on a daily basis what a soundstage is. I thought that was funny. I'm sorry. It is. It's hilarious. Sure, sure, sure. And I, 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 I have always said that Vince McMahon, since he he makes movies and he makes wrestling programs, which to him are movies, um, basically. That he should make his own studio and and his own sound stages and produce his own wrestling and movies in his own sound stages, but I guess he doesn't have the money for that. Yeah, I guess not. Um, you know, I also that's what bothered me and it bothered me, but confused me about oh, it the relationship. You. You it really confused me why they maintained such a close relationship with Full Sail for so long. Yeah. It's, why are you, Vince McMahon, you don't, Vince McMahon doesn't lease cars. He buys cars. He buys fleets of cars. Why are you partnering with this university? 
you could buy and sell this university. And that's no disrespect to Full Sail. It just doesn't make sense. Vince is an all-or-nothing guy. Partnership? Well, it was weird because... Never made sense to me. Well, even going to those house shows that were not at Full Sail, there were just random places in, in northern Florida. And the, the crew, the ticket takers and stuff, those are all Full Sail staff. Yeah, I know, because they had a full-blown partnership, which was very weird to me. Including that one cute girl that I thought was hitting on me, but she was ask- she was actually trying to get me to date her friend. Oh, that's right. <laughs> At, over the course of, like, multiple NXT shows... That was weird. There was this ticket taker who was like, you know what? You're a cute guy. And I was like, uh-oh, what is up? Yeah, that was weird. And she's like, you're so cute that I have to... Set you up with my friends. <laughs> she has a great personality. And, oh Yeah. Her her last boyfriend uh, left her and went to California. And I was like, well, I'm not a safe bet. Because I'm about to do that in like three months. But, appreciate it. Yeah, that was that was actually the, the most genius part of that whole thing. Was her going, <laughs> you won't believe it. Her ex-boyfriend, like, moved to California. Hey. You're like, that's well, ridiculous. Let, let me stop you right Who would ever do that? Was I her ex-boyfriend too? <laughs> Am I her potential future boyfriend and her, her past boyfriend as well? Anywho, um, so yeah, I, I always thought that the full sale thing was just like, a, we'll do that for now until we figure out a more permanent situation. But I guess this is the more permanent situation. When you said the, are you your, your potential boyfriend and your ex-boyfriend at the same time? It always reminded me of one of my favorite expressions, which is, yes, I am always on the lookout for a future ex-Mrs. Beasley. Yes. So NXT 2.0 did launch since our last episode. Smart, by the way. Well, uh, not having the new NXT take place at Full Sail, because those those Full Sail diehards, those sycophants, as you call them. Yeah, the uh, sycophants. They, they would probably boo everything just out of spite. And, and rightly so, by the way. Rightly so. It's fine. I, I get it. Um, I don't know if rightly so. I mean, come on. I I know that we've been talking about this since we've come back from the great hiatus. And we shouldn't be shitting on the people who are most likely to listen to our podcast. But I'm sorry. I hope you are listening to our podcast. I hope you love wrestling. I hope that you support the wrestling business with your dollars. But... And this is, and I mean this, and I don't discount the irony of being a podcaster who's putting himself out there and promoting himself as a piece of the wrestling business, if only as a critical commentary. I recognize the irony of me doing that while saying those of you who are trying to become famous off of wrestling are doing the wrong thing or you're doing the bad thing or a bad thing. I realize that irony. But I sincerely am presenting a critical commentary of something that I love and too many people that are at an NXT show or an AEW show are not doing that. Instead, they're acting like they're a 12-year-old and they're marking out like a bunch of dumbasses and they're trying to become famous for being a fan. I love that you were doing damage control for for a second of like, you know, I'm sorry I say that and I shouldn't be so critical, but fuck you. Like, 
Listen, I am. I'm stopping short. No, 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 no. Listen, no, no, I'm, no, serious. no, no, no. I'm serious. I, 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 I took that too far because that's not what Darren was saying. I uh, thank you. Okay, because I am stopping well short. Okay. of you know what? Fuck you. Because I don't mean that. Okay. I, it's not. I think it, and I'm not saying it. I don't think that. I don't mean fuck you. For no, then that. that, and that's true, and, that, and that's that's fair. But I, I understand very quickly before you continue. Before you. Tell me what to say or, or how to react to this. Let me tell you what I'm getting from what you're saying. Okay. And what are and our dear listeners, hashtag dear listeners who might be kind of up in arms right now with us about this whole thing. Um, I, I understand that there is a a tendency for a lot of like wrestling fans to prove how big a wrestling fans they are. You know, they have to make sure they do the the this is awesomes. And the ECW chance and and in a sense hijack the show. It's it's like going to see you know NXT at the Jacksonville Armory. They they the wrestlers are very aware of that audience and how that audience tends to hijack a show. But this is this on their like national program, so it's on a, it's on a much bigger basis, and they know they can go home and watch it on you know Peacock or Hulu and be like, I started that chant. Oh, I totally said this. Oh, you hear that shouting? That was me shouting. Like, I, I get that. I totally understand what you're saying. And guess what? Yeah. When I was 16 years old and I was in the crowd at Monday Nitro during the Monday Night Wars. Yeah. And I had on my NWO t-shirt mm-hmm. and I was for life and I had my poster and I wanted to be on TV. You were equally obnoxious? Yes. Okay. But you know what? I was 16 years old. Okay. I wasn't 37 years old okay. with my beard and my real job. <laughs> you probably had a beard back then. Okay, I did have a beard. <laughs> okay. So, okay, yes, I had my beard. But I was 16 years old. Okay. And I wasn't there with my real job. I wasn't there with my child in the audience getting pushed out of the way by me and my ob- other obnoxious adult wrestling fan <laughs> friends. That's my point. I, I get it. It's it's like it. the joke, oh, I remember my first beer. It's like when I see these 40-year-old people. What's that? That's Steve Martin, yes. Yeah, when I see, you know, these 40-year-olds just behaving like children because, I don't know, their, their inner child was unfulfilled, like, and now their real job gave them the... Financial freedom to go chase the dragon of having never gotten to attend WrestleMania. Well, now, by God, I'm going to attend every WrestleMania. I'm going to be in the front row of Raw every week with my neon green shirt. I knew you were going to say this. Yes. I was waiting for it. I knew you were going to say that specifically. Okay. I I think you'll appreciate this. And it's ironic because it's also in Orlando. Okay. It's like a bunch of people who are obsessed with Disney. But they're obsessed with wrestling, but they're acting kind of in that same obnoxious way where every fucking Facebook picture is them at Disney, and it's them gonna go, oh, we met Mickey Mouse, we met, you know... Not me and my two-year-old. Me and my husband. Me and, or me and my me. Me and my me. No, no, I, I, I get Just it. me. Just me. I get it. I get it. You love wrestling, and that's great. You know, wrestling really needed that. There were a lot of times wrestling really needed fans like that to kind of keep it going. And the dark ages of wrestling. But, like, we get it. You don't have to, you know... There's no nice way to say this. It sounds like we're saying, stop being such big fans of wrestling, because that's not fair. Stop putting yourself over. 
That's what I'm saying. I, I'm gonna Stop say, putting yourself over. I'm gonna over. say what Mr. 450 said to that really tall, loud, obnoxious, no doubt in my mind that he loves wrestling fan at Fest that one time and said, calm down. <laughs> because that's what I want to say to some of these people. Just calm down. Um, let the performers perform. They're gonna do their best. Cheer for the people you want to cheer for. You know, boo those who you don't want to. You, you you boo. It's fine. You know, it makes me think of the cake song, rock and roll lifestyle. Uh, yeah, 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 okay. And all of these wrestling fans, uh, they resemble the lyric that, "How much did you pay for your rock and roll T-shirt that proves you were you're there, there. You that you heard, heard of, of them, them first? first. Now. now, yeah, that's what you're all doing. Yeah." Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Just don't be that guy. Also, a reference about a t-shirt from the movie PCU. But... <laughs> there you go. But but don't be that guy. Stop being that guy. Okay. <laughs> Moving on again, because I, I understand. I think those who understand understand. Those who don't want to accept that, that's fine. Keep, okay, so... Keep, I keep, don't... keep doing it and saying there, there, there is no end game here, you know? No, no. You said your piece and that, that's kind of it, and I don't want to... The, the point is, we're not trying to insult anyone. But it does irk us sometimes when, when people are a little too... Well, like I said, trying to make it about them. When it's not about you. They're overzealous about the wrong things. They're, or they're, they're overzealous... Well, too much zeal. In... A wrong way. It's sure. it's it's misdirected. It's misdirected. Okay. But NXT I don't 2. know 1. if that's the crowd that's at NXT 2.0. I don't know if they're screening them and they're like, I'm sorry, you're, you must be well, by under now, this height to ride well, NXT 2.0. <laughs> well, by now, there, there must be like a, like, like when you go into a, a, a post office or, or old sheriff's office back in the day, <laughs> there, there have got to be like wanted posters. The top 10. But here's like, okay, if you see any of these 10 people who are at every fucking NXT show, do not let them in. Um, because they're going to pose as if they're the fifth member of Undisputed Era when they're standing next to the Undisputed the Era. The same guy that I was talking about a second ago. The thing is, okay, we can't all be tie-dye guy. Moving on. We can't all be Vladimir. You can't be Vladimir. You can't be tie-dye guy. So stop. So stop. So anyway, NXT 2.0, it was the premiere episode of the rebranding, the spin art brand, the Nickelodeon Studios brand. It's in a big white warehouse. It's a soundstage. Do you know what a soundstage is, Perry? Well, and, let me tell you. <laughs> and Vince McMahon and Bruce Prichard absolutely delivered what we uh, heard rumored would be what they were planning to deliver. It was beast on beast. It was man meat colliding with man meat. It was hoss versus Hoss. It's like we're watching NXT only. That's not NXT. And uh, true to the spin art uh, gimmick, Braun Breaker comes out wearing his father's singlet from 25, 30 years ago. Braun Breaker, of course, is the son of Rick Steiner. The realtor, Rick Steiner. And I know that we said that uh, this the son of Rick Steiner had been renamed Rex Steiner and would be appearing in NXT uh, very soon as Rex Steiner. And I thought, that's cool. That's very, very cool. Well, he appeared and he looked exactly like a damn Steiner brother 
with his hot pink sprinkles, his Simpsons donut singlet on. But suddenly he's called Braun Breaker. Also, another wrestler named Braun? I know it's spelled differently, but Braun Breaker, B-R-O-N, Braun Strowman, B-R-A-U-N. He's a Braun Breaker. <laughs> Heartbreaker. Hashtag too soon for another Braun? Uh, that may be a dig at him. I don't know. If you have a name like Steiner, which is synonymous with wrestling, good or bad, I know Scott Steiner did not make a lot of friends, especially uh, mid to end of his career. I don't know why you wouldn't be Steiner. Because that, that's automatically like, I know that name. Oh, that's brand recognition. Instantly. And they never, not only did they not call him Rex Steiner, they never mentioned Rick Steiner. They never mentioned the Steiner brothers. They never mentioned the Steiner brothers anyway. Like, I know, but even when he, even when old dude, when even when Joe Hennig was running around as Michael McGillicuddy, they still referred to him as Mr. Perfect's son. Sure. So, okay, he's Braun Breaker. Well, that doesn't immediately tip anybody off to the fact that he's Rick Steiner's son. But you know how you let him know? You say, he's Rick Steiner's son. Yeah. So to go out of their way not to do it, what's the deal? Why is the Steiner name persona non grata? I'm sure it must have something to do with Scott Steiner. But even if, and certainly if not, then what are you doing? Braun Breaker is a terrible name. It's a terrible name. And of course, Breaker has two Ks for absolutely no reason. Why not? And uh, Braun Breaker took on LA Knight and beats LA Knight. So why does LA Knight still get a shot at the title? If he loses to a debuting rookie, shouldn't that kick him to the bottom of the ladder? Don't get me started on the position. Real quickly, I want to run through. Uh, there's no reason to go match by match for NXT 2.0. We've already described what it is, what it looks like, and what the rebranding is. It's super colorful. It's in a, uh, a soundstage that looks like it's lit through skylights, and it's a lot of big dudes crashing into each other. That doesn't sound like a great recipe, but there were some highlights. For me... The highlight was Imperium. Well, I was, I was going to say, before you get into that, it's it's actually, when you think about it in a business sense, it's smart because you have yourself a new show without having a new show. Um, I'm, I'm sure this probably did get more eyes on it than a typical NXT show would. Um, so I, I get why that's smart. How long that'll last, because I know AEW ever since CM Punk debuted the viewership has just dipped every week. Um, so I wonder how long this will be consistent for NXT's ratings. But So a lot of new at this show, as you're about to say, but uh, some old Imperium. Right, Imperium is very important to me. I, they're one of those things that, even before the great hiatus, I had really bought into Walter and Marcel Bartel and Imperium and the whole uh, ring comp ring comp was what they were known as uh, in England and Germany and WXW, and I really bought into that the black and white ring gear the the, the oh how so very German are they the operatic music oh my God Antonin Dvorak's New World Symphony as their shared entrance music 
<laughs> Best entrance music. What's epic? I mean, it's it's so epic. Literally anyone come out of that. Like Crash Holly could have come out of that. And it's like, oh my god, this guy means business. Meanwhile, you got Marcel Bartel and Fabian Eichner coming out, and I haven't seen in sync tag team maneuvers like that since the Rockers. And Bartel has such a great look. That's a guy that, to me, is on the level of somebody like Cesaro, which means he'll ultimately be misused for several years like Cesaro. What are we talking about? He's had a great run. But Imperium was cool to see. Uh, I'm into B-Fab. Like, I've is, is, just is that, is learned... Is that K-pop? Is that a Korean pop group? It, it is a Korean pop group, or it might be a zero-calorie soda. <laughs> But regardless, I'm into B-Fab. Hey, man. And we actually discussed this off the air a little bit, but I need to say it on the air because it's just true. Uh, We really talked up Bianca Belair uh, on the first couple episodes since we've come back. But Bianca Belair really needs to watch out. And she needs to keep her head on straight, keep knowing which side her bread is buttered on, and stop speaking out about feeling as if she's shortchanged by Becky Lynch. And instead, not take the fact that she's even in the Becky Lynch conversation for granted. Because if Bianca Belair screws up and falls down a rung or two on the ladder, B-Fab is going to supplant her in WWE. And then Jade Cargyle is going to supplant Bianca Belair anywhere, even if it's on a competing program. Um, that being said, B-Fab, pretty cool. She's with Hit Row, which includes Isaiah Scott, who's holding a belt, not defending it, but holding the North American Heavyweight Championship. B-Fab is awesome. We also, uh, on NXT 2.0, saw Gigi Dolan with JC Jane and Mandy Rose. The new brunette and all-black attire Mandy Rose and their new, like, Mean Girls gimmick. They're all, they're not exactly spooky-ooky-ooky, but they're a little edgy. And um, I think it works. I don't like Gigi Dolan having to be second fiddle to Mandy Rose because I think that Gigi Dolan, the artist formerly known as Priscilla Kelly, has all the makings of a single star. She doesn't need to hitch her wagon to Mandy Rose. Well, she just needs to hold on until she eventually turns on Mandy Rose and they feud each other. It's... Well, that'll happen. Because that's how you write every female in wrestling, right? Now, you, get, you get a few of them together, you get a few of them together and they're best friends and then they turn on each other, right? That's that's how women wrestling always goes? Okay. Most definitely. As far as the man meat goes on this show, it's... <laughs> It's the Creed Brothers. Okay. And, you know, they're wearing the black singlets and they're doing the collegiate amateur wrestler thing. So it's, you know, a little bit of shades of original, original Brock Lesnar. It's it's some shades of uh, World's Greatest Tag Team. And it's shades of that weird, too big faction that was in NXT that had... Uh, Jason Jordan and Chad Gable and at one time Sawyer Fulton. Catchpoint? And no, no, catch catchpoint, that was um 
That was like a Drew Gulag and yeah, that yeah. was where where did they wrestle? I don't remember. I think anymore. they wrestled in PWG. I know they did, but Catchpoint. Um, but it, it's, it's a little bit like that. But the the Creed brothers, they're wearing the singlets, and they're doing that sort of Greco-Roman thing. They the open palms, and they're kind of moving around like hunchbacks. And I get it. Strangely enough. The most intriguing thing about the Creed Brothers to me so far, because I don't even like, I don't even like Creed Brothers that much, just as a name. But then when they started referring to them by their first names, Julius and Brutus, I was like, oh shit, yeah. Oh, there comes the history teacher. Julius I Creed. I find that quite interesting. Julius Creed and Brutus Creed. And they're just going to be a couple of like, corn-fed knuckleheads. Will they call him Brother Brutai? Yes. Yes and yes. (laughs) And I'm into it, man. And yeah, now the Creed Brothers as part of the Diamond Mine, they absolutely are catch point. But do you remember that NXT faction? And and Dawkins was also in it. And then they sort of, they shed... uh, Oh, this is like way back. Way back. back. Okay, yeah, And they would come out and they were sort of like Taz team. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Jason Maxwell, just tell us who they were. (laughs) But you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sawyer Fulton wore the... Speaking of Rick Steiner. with you. And also speaking of the whole Ref and Show logo. Sure. And and my green headgear, which is also a nod to Rick Steiner. Well, speaking of, of singlet tag teams that you were talking about, you did not mention this one. Which was great NXT, and then they fucked them all up in WWE, American Alpha. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, American Alpha was half of that faction. But that's what I'm saying, though, is is they were a great singlet tag team. American Alpha was a great tag team. Oh, my God, And they yeah. said, you know what we should do? We should break them up, and people hated them. Jason Jordan got injured when they were trying to make him Kurt Angle's illegitimate child, and he was injured to the point where he would not be able to compete at WrestleMania. And then Shorty G. And what? No, well, yeah. And when, and when Kurt Angle told the audience that Jason Jordan was injured and would not compete at WrestleMania, the audience cheered. And Kurt Angle literally, like, for a shoot, was like, "You guys are happy about that. You're really happy that he is injured and he won't be able to compete at WrestleMania." <laughs> yeah, he was like disgusted. <laughs> Not, you know, seeing Raven crucified on a cross at an ECW show disgusted, but he was disgusted. He was also disgusted by that. He was disgusted by that. Shorty G. Okay, stop it. It hurts hurts my ears. When I think of Shorty G... It tastes awful. I think of... Talking about K-pop groups. Do you remember... (laughs) Bad, Bad current rap. Do you remember the... And I know you do. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle figures <clears throat> that were like, um, like sports. Like yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah, And, okay, so who was the hockey player? Hockey player was Slapshot Leo. Okay, so the hockey player was Slapshot Leo. He had like a white jersey and red pants, I think. He had black pants. Black pants? He had black pants. Was there red trim on the white jersey then? No. Come on. No. There's red on that toy. There's not red on that toy. There's there. red on that toy. Darren Beasley, there's not red on that goddamn toy. Uh, well, excuse me, I wasn't talking about Slapshot Leo anyway. Okay. 
Um, and I, well, fine. You screwed it up for the toy. You can apologize to the toy. I was going to say it was my favorite, and now I hate it, and it's your fault. There's no red on that toy. There is. One of them is a basketball player. Is it Donatello? It is Donatello. And is the basketball uniform purple? It is red. Oh, my God! Maybe I, I crossed the strings. <laughs> May, or maybe it's the Mandela effect. Oh, no. The super collider did happen. <laughs> Do you remember? Sonia Deville's name was Daria Farinato, Darren. Do you remember? Do you remember when Van Hammer fought Super Collider <laughs> at Starcade 88? I remember. Yeah, yeah. So there's the basketball player, Donatello. Slam dunk and Don. That's Shorty G. Okay. Okay. That is Shorty G. I don't understand what this point is at all, but... That, 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 that's the point. That, they, they, ran, I, they ran out of ideas for new characters, so they just made... Did you ever see Shorty what G? What if they were sports players, Turtles? What if they were Transformers, Turtles? That happened. What if you could put stuff in their shells? Storage shell. Those are great, by the way. Yeah, you could put a penny. You can put all their accessories inside the shell. Or like the size of a penny. (laughs) That's where I hid my pennies from my parents. (laughs) My precious pennies. My precious pennies. Shorty G. He is... Please stop saying his name. He is... I am getting getting upset. But isn't he that toy? He is that toy. I don't understand what you're saying. I'm saying when I... Richard Pryor is the toy, dude. Every time... See, that movie is, wow. That movie is inappropriate. Is it, though? Yes, it is. Okay. F- Jackie Gleason. It's Jackie uh, Gleason, I, right? I was going to say, funny is you should Jackie mention. Gleason? Funny I should mention uh, The Toy, because I was thinking about this recently, how that movie is the thing that should not be, but somehow it doesn't quite cross that. That I, I don't think it does. Well, maybe it didn't when it was made, but okay, it okay. damn sure does now. Very quickly, folks. The Toy is a, a, a comedic film uh, about uh, Richard Pryor is the star. And I believe he works in a toy store. I forget how how they, they happen to meet, but there's a rich kid who really likes Richard Pryor. Because I guess they, they play well together, or he makes him laugh or whatever. So his very wealthy father actually, like, buys the services of Richard Pryor. I don't know his character's name in, in hmm. the movie. It's not really That's one way of saying it. Yeah, well, he... But I think he's, like, a live-in, like, like buddy, basically. Like, a friend. But you, there is another way can to... Can I please interject? Sure, go ahead. Do you mean he has, he's a slave? He, well, <laughs> the, the thing is, though, he's paid to be that. Like the, the, the whole, well, the whole thing's inappropriate. Even if it were a white guy, it's still a weird situation where you're basic. You are a toy. That's why the movie is called The Toy, right? Because he's basically a, a slave, a child play. He's like a, he's he bought him a friend, and it's this adult person. And, and throughout the movie, he, you know, Richard Pryor explains to the kid like, you know, that's not what friends are. Like, you can't pay me to be your friend. Like, you have, to, I have to like you because I like you, not because. Your father pays me to like you and spend time with you. And that's ultimately what the message is. If it were a white comedian in the role, that wouldn't change. But it, but it only seems that way because it is a black comedian. And I remember watching when I was a kid and thinking, like, is this wrong? Like, wait a minute. But they don't really go into that at all in the movie. Because I don't think the movie was written with Richard Pryor in mind. 
Which is why it never crosses that stream. I'm pretty sure. I watched the movie a lot when I was younger. And I'm pretty sure that's not really brought up. Yeah. And I don't remember if the father's Jackie Gleason or not. It might be. I think the father is Jackie Gleason. Okay, fair enough. I think. Okay, I don't know why we went on that. but Well, you know, <laughs> I also watched that movie a lot when I was a little kid. And I also watched Pee-wee's Big Adventure a lot when I was a little kid. And I always thought that the kid from the toy grew up to be Francis. To be Francis? Oh, wow, wow. And also, one of the most disturbing things that happened in my entire youth, not Large Marge, actually, believe it or not, because I know that that haunts a lot of people in our, haunts in our age group. Sure. The most haunting thing from Pee-wee's Big Adventure is the clown dream. The clown dream. Yes. And, and here's the thing. I'm not scared of clowns. I wasn't scared of clowns before that, because of that, or after that, at any point. And I'm still not scared of clowns. Clowns are kind of awesome. I, I kind of have a... Uh, uh, okay, we'll stop there. Um, I like clowns. The less you know. But that scene is terrifying music helps too that dun 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 i don't like that yeah the whole thing's done well Even i also don't like when the when the gum that francis is chewing oh it's the, the trick gum yeah. black and it starts oozing out of his mouth it's like that's what that's what happens when you die <laughs> i was like that's francis is dying that's that's cancer coming out of his mouth oh no we'll get back to wrestling soon folks i promise but more about big <laughs> uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I was a big top Pee Wee. That's the wrong Pee Wee movie. But until there's more to report from NXT 2.0, we're gonna leave it right there, and we're going to talk about Grand Slam Dynamite. Actually, I want to talk a little bit, uh, as we said at the top of the show, about last week's Dynamite and this week's Dynamite. I know that most people. The viewership, the numbers are going to tell us that Grand Slam Dynamite probably was a Grand Slam. That it's the biggest gate, uh, at least that's how it was advertised, the, the biggest or largest or most lucrative gate for AEW so far since the company has existed at this open air stadium, Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York. And this entire show was built around the fact that well, originally it was going to be when Brian Danielson appeared in AEW. Turns out it was the location of Brian Danielson's first AEW match because he already appeared a couple of weeks ago. He what? But uh, so Grand Slam Dynamite, they they went all in, which of course makes sense. Whoa. And you, you've got Punk, and you've got Cole, and you've got Danielson, and you've got Omega, and you've got all of the Elite, and Christian, and all these championships, and Sting wrestling again, and Suzuki from New Japan, and wow. I mean, it's a stacked card. It's a big deal show. A big, big deal show. And now I expect you to fully shit on it. For lots of triggers being pulled too early, probably. Yeah. You, um, uh, the opening match. I'm not saying you're wrong. The opening match is Kenny Omega versus Brian Bryanson of the Danielson Daniels. And that's the best match Kenny Omega has had in AEW. Alright, we want to talk about the match? 
Yes. Let's talk about the match. Well, pl- please. Well, I'm gonna you most you hashtag your listeners know what I'm going to say, which is you had this way too soon. You gave this match away on TV for free, and it it's the it's the best match that Daniel Bryanson is going to have. Brian Danielson, if you will, um, possibly like this is it, like that that's his best opponent to me. And and when when I say Kenny Omega is like my favorite wrestler, you know, that's when he was having these amazing matches in New Japan. You know, every month it was like, oh my god, this great match. Oh my god, this great match. The Okada stuff, it's all great. And you said this when we were watching it earlier, which was this is. This is great because he's having a match he would have in New Japan. Because Brian Danielson is a wrestler. Like, he's actually doing... There are holds, you know, and there are grapples, and there's actual moves. It's not... Spot! This move spot! Alright, this is a kind of a kind of a pile driver DDT. Okay, this is a swinging net breaker into a, uh, a shooting star press that I do. Like, they're wrestling. They're having a great wrestling match. And, you know... That's a good thing for Kenny Omega. He can look like, you know, he's actually worth the money when he has a match like this. And, and Kenny Omega always has a fine job. He's a fine wrestler. But when you give him an opponent who can actually wrestle... Like, this made me a... a I was never too big on Daniel Bryan. Seeing him have this kind of match with Kenny Omega, now I realize how good of a wrestler Daniel Bryan is. Well, that makes me happy because I've always been a fan of Brian Danielson. And this is the best match he has had since I can recall. Well, definitely his best match since before he went to WWE. And and there you go. In any match that Brian Danielson was in during his decade in the WWE, he was the best part of it. But at no point did he have a match that compared to his indie career or in or his ROH career WWE Daniel Bryan is not Bryan Danielson it's not the American Dragon what we got to see on Grand Slam Dynamite was the American Dragon Bryan Danielson it wasn't his best match ever and I wouldn't even put this match in Omega's top five no but it is number one in terms of Omega's AEW matches, and it's number one in terms of Daniel Bryan or Bryan Danielson's last decade's worth of matches. That being said, the reason it's not the best match either of them have ever had is because it's taken them this long to have it. Or I guess I should say it's taken them this long to have it again. Of course, in the Dark Ages, when they were both young bucks themselves these two wrestled each other in all sorts of weird canadian backwaters and central florida uh arboreal bingo halls and arms. exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. but here uh, for the whole shebang in the number two american wrestling company in the biggest show they've ever had they put on a pretty damn good match It was a little slow at first, and then when they started pouring it on, it made me believe that a man could fly. It was a great match. There's there's nothing negative I can say about it. I like that it kind of ends in a schmoz. I don't like that it happened so soon. Because, again, we've already seen it now. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing to build to. I understand you wanting to, like, just kind of stack the card. 
because the like the the audience is so big or whatever but that's a pay-per-view match right there like you don't you don't do that tony khan has a lot to learn about that because he he is blowing his load way too often he premature booker (laughs) premature booker also if you have to you're the wrestlers that follow that match like who there's an ebb and flow to a wrestling show or to a tv show or to an action movie like you don't put all your big action in the very beginning before the the title comes up you and I don't completely agree on this. Okay. We've already mentioned this on the past couple of episodes where I, I'm withholding judgment. I don't think that you're wrong because what you're speaking about is firm. There's plenty of firm evidence in the past uh, to support your theory or your perspective or even your argument. I just, I'm not ready to agree with it because I like it. I don't mind. I'll mind it when I see it for the fourth time in as many months. That's when I'll mind it. But just seeing it for the first time, I don't really care where they place it. To me, it's just, oh, thank God it's not another Roman Reigns versus Sheamus two-minute match on a boring-ass Raw. I'm just happy that AEW is presenting an actual alternative. An actual, actual alternative that has money and support and production value and then real top-tier international talent on an on a, on a American stage having a great match. I, don't, I can't complain about that. I can't bring myself to complain about it. So you don't you you agree and don't agree that it was just too soon. Exactly. I agree or I, I don't agree that it was too soon. I understand why you would say that. And when it proves itself to be too soon later, then I'll readily admit it. But I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. When I see the match, I can't help but be a little gobsmacked in a very, very good way. You know what this is? What? Ghost ship. I don't know what that is. I'll explain, Darren. Is it something? Is it like um, a soundstage? No, it's probably filmed on a soundstage. Ghost ship is a horror movie that came out in the early two thousands. A lot of people remember the movie because they watched it and they were like, "Whatever, heard it's whatever." The very, very beginning of the movie, I think, before the title even pops up, it explains how the ship. Is full of ghosts. So it's an old-timey party on an old ship, Titanic-esque, if you will. Something happens, and the sail snaps, and the wire, the cable that holds up the sail, swings while everyone's out there, like, dancing and having a good time. It swings across the entire ship. And cuts everyone on board in half. Oh my god. And everyone is just... After it happens, everyone's kind of like shocked and looking at each other. And then slowly, people start just falling in half. And this is what happens to the ghost ship. And that part is amazing. And it's awesome. So like, it looks good? It looks great. It looks very, very good. You know what the rest of the movie's about? What? No one fucking remembers! Because... All people ever talk about when they see that fucking movie is the beginning of the movie 
Because it never got better than the beginning of the fucking movie. That's AEW. But you're still talking about the beginning of Ghost Ship. Yeah. You are still talking about the beginning of Ghost Ship, which I've never even seen. You've seen it, and it made such an impact, you're still talking about it. <sighs> no, Darren. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, Darren. 20 years from now, people won't remember that Fuego del Sol made a heel turn, and it won't matter. But they'll remember that at Arthur Ashe Stadium, Brian Danielson came out from underneath the shadow of a somewhat subpar WWE career to fight the hottest wrestler in the world, Kenny Omega, and do a bang-up, bang-up job. So you're telling me the Hogan sting built up for a year and ended in a very subpar match with a completely botched overbook finish ended well because the story was so good? No, but that's what you're saying. No. Yes. No. You're saying that a properly made ghost ship would have the big reveal be at the end, which is what Starcade 97 that you're referencing would be the equivalent of because they didn't give away the end of Starcade 97. I'm saying save the best for last, not for first is what I'm saying. But then you're saying it wasn't. You're saying that the... Starcade 97 played out in a bad way. No, my my ultimate my ultimate argument, Darren, is that a wrestling story is only as good as the end of it. Not the beginning. That's my point. Why have a 2-hour movie? Ghost Ship could have been a 5-minute movie. <laughs> could have been a short film. So, Bret Hart is Ghost Ship? Bret the Hitman Clark is is not Ghost Ship. Hey, Brett didn't book that so, finish. Okay, so Montreal, the Montreal screw job was Ghost Ship. No. And Brett Hart at Starcade 97 was Ghost Ship 2. <laughs> the completely unnecessary sequel. Okay, yes, that I agree with. That 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 would have been an unnecessary sequel. Where yeah. suddenly, even though there were 18 months of Hogan and Sting, they inserted Montreal into the finish. Right. For Starcade 97. That is okay. I'll, I'll 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 do you better. I'll 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 do you one on a slow burn. And we talked about this. Paul Heyman good at the slow burns. Sabu and Taz never really physically even touching each other for a year, and then having a phenomenal match eventually. Like that's what I want. Like like if you wanted to give people a taste of Daniel Bryanson versus you know Kenny Omega. If you insist on putting freaking Jungle Boy and and Luchasaurus and Christian Cage with, you know, Brian Danielson, which I think really bogs him down, you know, because Kenny Omega, I think, has better people in his corner or more exciting people in his corner. Uh, no offense to the other people, but Christian Cage, there's nothing exciting about him. He's just someone that you recognize. Um, but you maybe have like a, a tag match or a triple threat match, elimination style, Survivor Series style, if you will. And you get little, like a little glimpse of, oh, they finally like, you know, tag in and the, the right combination is Omega and, and Daniel Bryan. So it's like, oh man, could you imagine if they had a full match together 
and you get a taste of it. So later on, you can have the full thing, and you still get it. The audience still gets that little bit, but, you know, for the fans at home, we want to see it, but don't do it. It's like having sex in the first date, and then if you don't get sex every time, you're just like, where the sex? <laughs> sure. Or if, if sex only happened on the first date, and the next time we saw each other, it was like, I was told there would be sex. Well, I, I don't know, know why, why it always goes into dating for me, but apparently uh, I'm starting to realize why I'm single. Do you need a girlfriend? I, I, I think I'm fielding for, for girls. No. Perry, Perry, let me just ask you this. Okay. Why buy the cow when you can get the <laughs> milk for free? I'm a, I'm a big proponent of that. Anywho, in Rush... All your milk comes from bought cows. Well, the thing... Before we got into this long thing about how it was way too soon... And again, I even said the CM Punk introduction is not how I would have done it, but it worked. This match is still great. My only complaint is that we probably shouldn't have seen it quite yet. It, it still would have been a great match a year from now, but it would have been built up a bit more. But maybe Tony Khan kind of realizes that he might not have the same amount of people watching AEW... In a year from now, that's what I said but, last but, week. But that, but that's not a. That's not if he's if he's actually thinking that. If that's his his reasoning to do something like that, I can see why it's like. But you can get this. Please keep coming back every week. But the thing is, they don't have to come back because they've already seen it now. It's hard to argue with that second part. Okay. That why would they come back if they've already? They seen got it? the milk. Why come back for the cow? You you said you said that. Oh, did I? Okay, you I said, said that. I Darren. said that. I said that. This basically was getting the the milk for free without having to buy the cow. The cow being the pay per view, uh, <laughs> which so. also, by the way, getting the pay per view milk for free for the last however <laughs> many years pay per view milk <laughs> for however many years it's now been since the WWE Network existed. That's exactly why I don't buy AEW pay-per-views. I can't. And probably I can't. never will. I can't. I'm not going to give 30 or 40 or $50 to any company mm. to watch a three-hour wrestling show when there's a hundred hours of live wrestling every week. Where's the AEW app that can pay like 10 bucks a month for all this stuff? You know, convenience. I've been spoiled. Not to mention that you have to go through Fight TV or some other backward-ass <laughs> platform. Remember when we put Fight TV down, the app, because we used it for the first time to buy a TNA pay-per-view? I think it was Bound for Glory, maybe? To watch the uh, the Broken Mat stuff. That's right. And uh, we had SoCal Val on that next week who promoted the Fight TV app, and it was like, Ugh. We were like, oh yeah, no, it's our favorite app. Um, then we were. She at... was lovely, by the way. She was great. I, I, we, we don't often discuss SoCal Val being on the show many years ago at this point, uh, but she was a great guest. She was a great guest. She was a very good guest. She was in her hotel suite in London. Yeah, and we talked with her over Skype, wearing risque clothes. She described to us. It was very. It was a good picture she painted. Um, no, she was super, super nice. Just like all of our guests, all of our friends of the show, SoCal Val is on uh, an exclusive list of friends of the show that we absolutely adore. I had the opportunity to work with SoCal Val on the indie scene many, many years ago, and therefore she was willing to come on and do us a favor in the baby, baby step days of the whole Reffin show. 
and could not have been more generous. Sokka Val, following her on Twitter, I know that she does not sneeze into a Kleenex without, you know, selling it for ten bucks. That girl, very business savvy. That's not a very... <laughs> That's not a, a thing you would think about. But you, you see what I'm trying to say, like... That girl doesn't do anything for free, and she totally helped us out with that. I'm not saying that she will do your podcast, your wrestling podcast is out there for free. Uh, she probably did it because she remembered Darren. Um, so, uh, anyway, we appreciate friend of the show. Friend, friend of the show. show. Hashtag friend of the show. Before we move on, I want to say one more thing about AEW in general. Um, and that is that Dan Lambert, the old man who's in charge of American Top Team... The, you know, the MMA guy who keeps appearing at AEW shows, grabbing a microphone, whether he's in the front row, whether he jumps into the ring, or whether he's in the stand somewhere, like in a suite, like in, a, in the press box or something. This guy's the best promo in AEW. Dan Lambert is the best. Hell, Dan Lambert is the best promo in wrestling right now. Wow. I don't. Was he a wrestler? Was this guy ever a wrestler? I don't know. I mean, he, he he's an older gentleman, and he is the manager or the boss, or he owns the gym. I don't know what his position is. He's a coach of America's top team. And he brought out uh, Junior Dos Santos and a handful of other MMA stars with him uh, on Dynamite two weeks ago. So he's not just shit-talking. He's got... These bad asses from the world of mixed martial arts in the ring with him. I don't know what it's building to. But are they incredible badasses? I Well, you know, we'd have to ask uh, Paul Lazenby <laughs> to find out. I know he is scared of one badass. Uh, somebody I know pretty well. <laughs> but what is Dan Lambert building toward? What is Tony Khan's plan for Dan Lambert? Um, I know that the AEW crowd loves to boo him. They'd probably like to see him get, you know, thrown on his ass once or twice. But are we looking at a pro wrestling versus MMA stable versus stable match at some point in the future? If so, that's badass. I really like that. I love that idea of out MMAing MMA. Because don't get me started on the fact that MMA used to mean mixed martial arts and not mean MMA. MMA stood for martial arts that were mixed. It's a mixture of different martial arts. And now mixed martial arts is a single style. And I hate that. Isn't that weird how that language changes like that? I was unaware that that was a thing. Well, you know what I mean. If you watch MMA, if you watch UFC... They're all fighting the exact same way. Maybe some of them go to the ground quicker. Maybe some of them kick more than they punch. But they all learn how to do all of it. Because they're so afraid of a mismatch costing them the match. So if their background is striking, if they come from boxing, uh, then they also have to learn submission. So that they don't lose if they get taken to the ground. I like the old school UFC, which is, I believe you win a fight with your fists. And the other guy says, I believe you win a fight with a submission hold. Well, guess what? Get in the ring. One of you only throws punches. One of you only tries to get people on the ground. Who's going to win? 
Not, we all fight exactly the same way. It's a uh, face-yourself match on a video game. It will be in, in the very early days of UFC, it was Street Fighter. Like Right! This, I'm pretty sure we've talked about on the show, but yeah. Back in the day, it was like, oh, the 280-pound sumo wrestler versus this 190-pound jujitsu artist. Like, yeah, it was pretty cool back then. And I just think that if they did a pro wrestling versus MMA thing between Tony Khan and Dan Lambert, that would be neat. Like a Survivor Series style match, but on one side of the ring are AEW guys, on the other side of the ring are America's top team. You don't... Or American top team, I think it's called. You don't mix non-wrestlers. It's so weird. Because uh, when you have when you have people fake fighting, you know, I, I, I'll use that term in this one, and you have people who legitimately fight, like Randy Orton treats uh, Matt Riddle like garbage, even though Matt Riddle could probably destroy uh randy orton <laughs> even though matt riddle looks like a silly asshole um on on tv when you it's always weird when you bring in the mma folk or like ronda rousey like the cool thing about her was like she could probably or like i'll forget that Shayna baszler like she's fighting she fought nia jackson you know raw recently and beat the crap out of nia jackson injured quotations maybe actually injured her i hope she did because that's what nia Jax gets wow well you know she should get hit by someone who can you know not be intimidated by her so some sometimes people need that the vaders of the world needed that the ultimate warriors of the world needed that someone to be like hey you know just kind of like you know catch the receipt um but like shanna baszler legit mma if you will uh fighter you could probably beat up Almost anyone on that roster for the most part. So when you bring in like MMA people and it's like, oh no, they they fight for real. Which is why you have to like the the Lesners, the Lashleys, who did MMA for a while. And were pretty successful with it. I don't know how successful Lashley was, to be honest with you, but Lesnar being the UFC champion, that's nice. And it, it made wrestlers, like I've always said, it, you can you can bring Brock Lesnar back over and over again, put the belt on him, I get it. Because he legitimized wrestlers as fighters. I mean, every wrestler should be appreciative of that just because you know, shut some fucking people up about wrestlers not being legitimate you know fighters or not being legitimately tough you know um so i mean that's how i feel about it but when you bring in a team of mma folks it's like oh no <laughs> they'll actually beat up the wrestlers like you know that that's always kind of like it's like bringing, that's no different from bringing in lawrence taylor though where it's just like I don't know, this guy's not really a wrestler, but we'll see what he can do in a ring, or bring in Rosario Dawson in. What the hell? Why not? Well, and it all goes back to wrestling got its start in the carnival, and what is a carnival without a freak show? Well, it's only a half a carnival. And what is wrestling when it brings in people from the outside? It damn sure is a freak show. Speaking of freak shows... Do you remember there being a weird, like, fighting organization a long time ago? And by a long time ago, I mean, like, 20 years ago. That was a long time ago. Like, when UFC was on the rise and there started to be like, oh, there's Pride and there's Bellator and there's this and this and this. There was a five-on-five fighting league. It was like, it was like, basically a war game size cage. And it was five-on-five five MMA. Darren, that was War Games. <laughs> You're thinking of WCW War Games. Somebody took MMA and said, you know what would make it better? 
if it were 10-man Texas Tornado rules. I like that. I've always said I want to see a triple threat match in UFC, but literally it would be, it'd be three guys all waiting for the other two to lock up so go there and just pummel them. Yeah, um, really? <laughs> I want to see a handicap match in UFC, Darren. All right, so hashtag dear listeners, tell T- us about that. TLC match. <laughs> Somebody tell me about this five-on-five MMA league that used to exist because we don't have smartphones i barely remember it and i want somebody to i, I know but i want somebody else to do it. I, I, know, I know my thumbs are very tired <laughs> that's fine it's all those uh it's all those it's all that hitchhiking you do five on five a war games mma style match whatever uh, umbrella whatever fighting league whatever weird attempt at piggybacking the Success of pro wrestling and MMA in the late 90s and early 21st century. None of it can compare to the chaos that we revisited or we had the luxury of revisiting because of Vice's Dark Side of the Ring. Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah. Uh, it's a, Dark Side of the Ring, for those who don't know, is a series, a, a docu-series. This series is about uh, wrestling folklore, basically. Really diving into it and really talking about uh, certain people, uh, certain wrestlers' deaths, certain situations that are like, you know, they're, they're myths at this point. Or, or mythology or, or whatever. The weird thing is these have been stories that like we have read, you know, and told to each other so many times. So actually hearing it and like knowing how much like the internet reports got right, you know. Because watching, watching this, I remembered from when it all happened. I probably read it about it on like WrestleZone.com or something like that back in those days or whatever. Um, even though I should know nothing about it because this happened on a private chartered plane uh, involving the a lot of the crew of WWE. Um, but uh, a lot of the details, so many details came out that I, I remembered about 80% of this story. And other stuff I just I never even knew about. Um, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but it's just, it's strange. And that's the way it is for all these episodes of Vice so far. Well, exactly. It's, these are be all a... rumors. It's, right. Yeah. What really happened that caused Owen Hart's death? Right. We got the 1011th look at the Montreal screw job. Sure. We got another look at the wackiness that was the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, we... <laughs> We got another look at the sick, sad world of Jake Roberts and Grizzly Smith. Right. Um, a lot of these topics are just revisiting folklore or things that have already been covered, sometimes by third-party uh, sources, sometimes by the WWE, sometimes in shoot interviews, sometimes on dirt sheets. What I like is that Vice has put uh, these things into a nice uh, little package and I think that the Unsolved Mysteries-esque uh, dramatizations are unbelievably good. They silhouette everyone's face, but the people they cast and the costumes for like the reenactments are amazing. Well, it makes you think that everyone is fully gimmicked at all times. <laughs> it does, which I love that. Okay, well. It's like a Sega Genesis game where everybody's fully gimmicked all the time. <laughs> Life is Streets of Rage. It's like superheroes that always wear their outfits all the time, like the, the Justice League, or there's always dressed like that forever. 
And that's how it should be. It's a good thing about the X-Men. Like, unless they were going to go fight in the danger room, they weren't, like, sitting around wearing their stuff. They were wearing, like, normal clothes in the mansion. They're hanging out. Yeah. You say good thing. I say put on your damn costume. You're a superhero. You need to be ready. You need to be like the Minutemen. Practicality. That's, that's all I'm saying. Regardless, um, other Vice episodes have included like a two-parter on the Benoit murder-suicide, the uh, tragic uh, rise and fall of Brian Pillman, the stabbing murder of Bruiser Brody, the tragedy of the Von Erich family. I actually think my favorite episode so far was actually the uh, WCW New Japan show in North Korea. Like, that episode of Dark Side of the Ring had so much I'd never heard of. And that's probably why I liked it so much. Because it's it's the problem with, like, watching... Um, like the Montreal Screwjob, for example? Th- th- that's the thing. Like, there's... We talked about this with... Uh, th- there, there are maybe YouTube channels that go into great detail about, like, certain topics or whatever... And it's like, that's cool, but I skipped the ones that I know really well because you're not going to tell me anything I don't already know. Oh yeah, we mentioned it, I think, maybe just a few weeks ago. Right. Where we said all the things we don't watch because we get frustrated because we know it better than they know it. Or they miss details that kind of like make certain things make more sense or whatever, but... Okay, well then, the the best example I can give you right now is something we actually talked about on the show before, which was the uh, the John Oliver uh, last week tonight piece about Vince McMahon and the WWE and maybe the unfair uh, practices because maybe the the performers should be more compensated for their work, which I agree with. But like every point he made, you know, for those who don't know, is like, oh my god, oh my god, the wrestlers have to endure this, this, and this. And you and I watched it separately, and we're both like, okay, yeah, uh uh-huh. We're like, oh, exactly, yeah, yeah, all right. Because we had people reach out to us, like, you know, the non-wrestling fans who watched it, and they're like, is this real? Yeah, yeah, did you see? Did you learn all that new stuff? And it was like, well, no, because we know all of this, just from being wrestling fans for so long. Yeah, it reeked of one of two possibilities. John Oliver suddenly discovered pro wrestling and couldn't (laughs) believe his eyes because he works in an industry that is laden with labor unions and everybody is protected out the wazoo with this guild and this what have you they don't get residuals for acting and and so he decided to be you know outraged by it right or he has a staff writer who loves wrestling and felt like this was the hill they wanted to die on and they put it in front of oliver or and got it on the air but it was it was a half-assed hit piece and i mean uh, whatever i don't give a shit about john oliver either way i don't dislike him or like him i've never watched that show it's okay to be indifferent yeah i watched yeah. that episode of that show because as perry just said you know, there people were like oh you gotta watch it it's wrestling and it's okay yeah all right it's garbage it's garbage it's it, it, it it's bob costas trying to pigeonhole vince mcmahon it's John Stossel trying to pigeonhole uh, David Schultz. It's Richard Belzer trying to pigeonhole Hulk Hogan. It's Bill Maher trying to pigeonhole Roddy Piper and Sting and Bobby Heenan and Medusa. 
We've seen it over and over and over again. We get it. You don't know shit about wrestling. You want to be holier than thou. You want to call them on their bullshit. And even though I think that uh, Dark Side of the Ring is a very good docuseries and I appreciate what Vice is doing, I'm not going to say Vice isn't doing a little bit of heavy-handed preaching themselves. Oh, right, right, right. Well, I mean, they're... they're... Every episode has like a like an arc, you know. There's a storytelling element too. It's not like, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and not to mention the people who are interviewed, you know, for the segment. They might have their own agenda or feel a certain way about certain people, so they might it might be you know a little protective over someone and not so much someone else, you know. Uh, which we, we can get a, a bit more into that because there's there's been a little bit of fault. Actually, there's been a lot of fallout from this a episode. Lot. So we'll 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 save that for later. But um, so this episode uh, is about the quote plane ride from hell, which I mean you and I read about when this first happened all those many many years ago, two thousand two, almost twenty years ago. Right, uh, and again, probably we knew about 90 percent of what all happened. Uh, the Ric Flair stuff uh, was kind of like, oh, I didn't know that happened. Uh, and, and and rightly so. Uh, yes and no, and we'll talk about that when uh, we that, get to that, it. That's fine, that's fine. So for those who don't know, Plane Ride from Hell, uh, WWE, or were they F back then? Uh, yeah, yeah, they, they were still specifically F because immediately after this happened, they became WWE. They got the F out because the World Wildlife Fund uh, officially got the name. The uh, Panda Bears stole the damn name. Mother effers. Anywho. No, no, get the F out. Oh, get the F out. Oh, mother ears. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, WWF, it's just, it's nice to say that, is overseas doing tours, uh, and they're, they're doing shows in Europe, all over Europe, and I guess uh, Vince McMahon, for whatever reason, I guess to be nice to everyone, uh, a rare act of kindness by Vince McMahon um, splurged, and they got this. Uh, they got this this large jet, which was basically got turned into like a luxury cruise line, a a, a in in you know the air. Uh, it's it's just like a, a all the seats have been you know given extra room. There's like a lounge area. It's there's like you know open bar or whatever. And there's I mean, it's a, it, and, it's a corporate style charter jet right it's designed for luxury it's designed for a lot of passengers well, it's it's a 757 that's been converted into this luxury like private jet basically and they they're used to carrying uh sports teams right. all over the world all over the country and all over the world and uh by virtue of the fact that it seems like they have an international crew um we can know that this is uh a big time international uh, system or, or, or organization or whatever. Right. Um, and so the wrestlers uh, use this. Uh, Vince McMahon as well. A lot, not just wrestlers, but also a lot of the, the crew, some behind-the-scenes people, uh, some big wigs. Uh, they, they use, I think... I th the I one thing I want to find out is the full list. I want to know yeah. who is on this flight. And and there there are contradicting reports about who is and who is not on the flight. Uh, half the people insist that Vince McMahon was on board, and the other half insist he was not on board. Yeah, and, and that itself is very muddy and very like, well, then who am I supposed to believe? Right. Um, and I mean, Vince the ones... said, if anyone says that I was on that fucking flight, you are fired forever. 
and and I think that one of the last things I want to talk about um, is that there's so much that has been claimed over the years that isn't addressed at all right. in this episode. And a lot of it has to do with Vince himself and his wife, Linda. Sure. And you know Jim Ross and, and some of the other big names. I mean, everybody in this is a big name and just incredible. Uh, <laughs> all these big names. <laughs> and a lot of them don't get mentioned at all. Nobody, sure. Nobody says peep about The Undertaker right. on this episode well, of Dark Side of the Ring. And, and you understand it, again, as a TV show, it's an hour-long TV show, which realistically means you have 44 minutes, because the rest of that is going to be commercials. Um, but, so, okay, so anyway, it's they're flying all around Europe, and I guess they just finished their final show. The final show is actually the Insurrection pay-per-view right. in 2002. Uh, on a Saturday night, they were preparing to fly uh, back to the United States for... For Raw. That's right. Uh, and uh, so it would have just been a, a, a nice little trip across the pond, Should've as they been. say. Should have been extra nice because of because of the jet. The jet should have been the reward. The jet should have been the prize. It shouldn't have been the root of the problem. Right. Um, and it definitely shouldn't have been the fucking victim. Well, the the I guess the beginning of this is that the flight is delayed leaving uh, the airports, and they are not delayed for like, you know, 10, 20 minutes or an hour. They are delayed for seven hours because there is very bad weather in Connecticut. I want to say one thing right here off the top. Sure. I do not condone any of the physical, mental, or emotional abuse that's about to be described. I do not condone any of the sexual misconduct that's about to be described. I do not condone drugging another person, assaulting another person, tricking another person, or harming another person. But I'll tell you this. I would not have, I wouldn't have actually done any of this to anybody on this flight. But I'm pretty sure I would have either drunk myself into a stupor or quit the company and gotten off that plane. I would not have sat there for seven hours on the ground. Once we're in the air, I have to put on my big boy pants and deal with it. I'm not going to sit on that plane for seven hours. The longest I've ever been trapped on a tarmac was about one hour. At the end of a cross-country flight from Cincinnati to Los Angeles. And stuck on the tarmac for one hour i thought i was gonna lose my mind seven hours no way it's not fun it's it not doesn't fun. excuse their actions but holy shit seven hours no i think that's it that's in the episode folks thanks for uh, tuning in and uh, now we know what really happened uh no uh i want to i want to echo darren's uh darren's disclaimer there i don't uh, i don't uh, condone any of this behavior um obviously but l- let that be said but uh, so seven hours uh, is spent by these wrestlers who have nothing better to do than to drink the free first class booze that are readily available on this um, on this flight. And a lot of the wrestlers, I mean, like booze are kind of their thing. Like they're 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 a bunch of dudes who like to go out and party or whatever. Uh, that and so much more. Well, I mean, it's also. It's I, a... I was going to say it's it's not just booze, unfortunately. Uh, with wrestlers, it is a lot of uh, a lot of pills, 
a lot a lot of stuff to kind of make the pain go away because they do have very painful jobs and, that, and that's something to be you're still being very kind i'm 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 calling it down the middle uh, i i appreciate that we'll, but we'll get to the more severe stuff i'm just later, saying i'm just me. saying I, you can chalk a little bit up of it up to locker room behavior um i think they're described as a bunch of frat boys at one point rvd says they're a bunch of what third graders or fifth graders something or something like that. Like that. I, I think I think most most accurately it would be a bunch of like a bunch of high school kids who were like in a limo for the first time. <laughs> about, a, yeah. about to go to prom. So only you, there's no women except for these poor stewardesses. And as bad as that is these are uh, imagine that all these high school kids have not all of them but many of them have serious drug problems oh sure and we can talk more about that later and i i think we when we first meet one of the flight attendants heidi doyle who we're gonna hear from a lot over the course of the show she mentions that they didn't just drink a lot of booze they drank three booze carts worth right what would nor you normally have one on a flight like this, they emptied three of them. Right. I mean, that's an insane amount of alcohol. And that's before they even left the ground, right? Right. Right. Um, well, first, I mean, I'll say this very quickly before we get too far into this. If you haven't watched it and you're and what you've heard so far, it sounds very tantalizing. Maybe, you know, hit the pause button, go watch it and come back. That's and, a good and, idea. And, and hear our thoughts on the whole thing. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It plays better, obviously, on Weissner visuals and what have you. Um, so okay, so the, that sets the scene. It's a it's a large seven fifty seven luxury cruise uh, in in the air. Um, Sky cruise, Sky cruise, and uh, a bunch of wrestlers uh, who are you know have been celebrities all all week. You know, doing all these shows in Europe, and now they're all nice and boozed up after seven hours of being stuck on a tarmac. And they're in the air now. And now the now the actual seven hour flight can begin. The, you mean the one from hell? The, the one from hell. It's seven more hours. Seven more dear hours. Listeners. Seven more hours. Which I think some of these wacky shenanigans even maybe started before the the flight even took off. I don't remember the order. Well, well all that matters is that it does happen in inside this plane. Um. So. Wrestlers are known for for drinking and partying. Um, they're also known for a, a lot. I won't say all. And by the way, we're gonna like you know, we're going to incriminate a lot of wrestlers. You know who, you know, rightly so should be incriminated because what what they did is wrong. There's enough reports of what they did. You know, yada yada yada. I want to quickly mention that this plane is full of people that you hear nothing about, as Darren pointed out. That's because they just fucking drank and sat there quietly. So I, I will say that it is a minority of wrestlers on this plane that caused this big ruckus. In fact, it's... In all fairness. Yo, totally. In total fairness. You don't hear about Kevin Nash on the plane because obviously he didn't do anything worth talking about. Right. So I, again, I want to see what the actual list looked like. Who all was actually on this plane because there are the people that we're going to talk about who got up to no good there are people that are not mentioned in the episode of dark side of the ring that we know and for a fact we're also up to no good right and then there's other people we hear about in the episode like briefly who did nothing wrong and then there's people that 
had to have been on this flight. Sure. And we don't hear anything about them at all. Right. Kevin Nash, I think, is the best example. If Nash is on this plane, I've never heard that because he's not mentioned ever, 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 ever. Right. Well, he's mentioned that it's mentioned that he is on the plane because I think they go they do a rundown of like because this plane's for like some of the bigger talent. Why Justin Credible is there, I will never know. Um, but <laughs> um, he is the off forgotten member of the clique, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah. They In never, the they days. never credit. Well, there, there, there's a reason for that. He's, PJ, he's, come on, PJ Polacco. Well, he's Justin Incredible. <laughs> he is just, <laughs> he is Justin he is Incredible. Justin Incredible. <laughs> Anywho. Uh, so everyone's liquored up. There's a lot of people partying, uh, maybe having a little too much fun, but no, definitely, some are definitely having way too much fun, but, uh, as, as you know, along with the, the drinking and, and unfortunately some of them drugging and a lot of these people, you know, unfortunately succumb to these addictions, by the way, um, some of these people got help and it saved their lives and that's really great to, to know. Um, and some of them didn't. And I'm not saying some succumb to these addictions for sure. And also, uh, one thing that's kind of known, and, and Darren kind of used the term already, is like locker room behavior, where like people would rib, quote unquote, each other, which is, you know, play pranks on each other, which could be as harmless as like, hey, he fell asleep, I'm going to shave his eyebrow, or I'm going to put his hand in water, and he's going to pee himself, we're all going to laugh at him, or like, I'm going to put a bunch of locks on your luggage so you can't, can't open it. That's all one. That's all one thing, and and then there's just like okay, you're just being an asshole to someone, and and they if they had a gun, they should shoot you, and no jury is going to convict them for what you just did. If you've listened to this show for a long time, you will remember that on more than one occasion, I have absolutely gone on a tear about the concept of bullying. Oh, sure. I do not tolerate bullying. I do not tolerate hazing. And therefore, I don't like ribbing. Period. Do I know that it happens everywhere, 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 all the time, all the time, all the time? I do. As I've said before on this show, I have a lot of first-hand knowledge of it. Having played football for the winningest high school football team in the history of the game as a teenager... I was absolutely hazed in order to be this antiquated idea of we welcome you, we beat you in, right? We beat you into the motorcycle gang. We haze you into the football team. And I participated in it as a recipient and a reluctant uh, per, uh, participator. Participator? Participant. <laughs> I, um, I, as I also mentioned on our show long, long ago, my brother, uh, my younger brother worked for the national organization of a, uh, a Greek fraternity. Uh, and I, all that will go unnamed, but as a compliance officer and as an education officer for his fraternal order, he had to fly around the country and deal with all the dumbass frat boys who hazed their pledges against the bylaws of the fraternity. I'm very, very sensitive to this issue. And JBL was many, many times the target uh, of my anger and his long history of quote unquote ribbing. I just don't like it. Now, 
Perry, you just mentioned some of the more lighthearted ribbing. Oh, I shaved off your eyebrow. Okay, well, that sucks. And it actually does really suck, but that's mild. The moment you drug someone, oh yeah, you need to be put under the fucking jail or you need to be beaten with a pillowcase full of bars of soap. Like a dog in the street? I don't, <laughs> I don't, I can't stand for it. I right, won't right, right. stand for it. And so like my blood really got hot, not at like, oh, the shenanigans, but as the stories came about, okay, this person drugged this person, this person drugged. When Mike Kyoto, former WWF uh, referee, goes on the record talking about how, how commonplace it was to put hardcore narcotics uh, against someone's knowledge into their beverage to reduce them to a state of complete incapacitation, them's fighting words. Mike Kyoto laughs it off. Now, even in retrospect, he has the nerve to laugh it off, and I'm sitting there getting fucking pissed. And it's it's worth pointing out, I mean, they talked to Mike Kyoto and Rob Van Dam, uh, Terry Runnels, uh, I forget Justin Credible's real name. P.J. Polacco. P.J. Polacco. Um... And they talked to Jim Ross, and it's worth mentioning, none of these people are currently gainfully employed by WWE. Uh, So it is interesting, I wonder what information they withheld, and what information they were more than happy to come, you know, more than happy for it to come to light. And I wonder, like, and it goes back to, like, what agenda do you have? Are you trying to get someone extra in trouble? I'm not not even saying anyone is lying. No, no, no. But there's a difference between lying and not telling the whole truth. And as far as the whole truth goes, for better and for worse, because it could go in both directions or one more than the other, but for better or for worse, not having anyone who is currently in the WWE talking about it definitely means we're only getting one version of this. That's the thing. Is it the more honest version? You could make that argument, but maybe it's not. And also Tommy Dreamer, by the way, is when that's definitely something to, to point to note uh, for, for later on. But so okay, so ribbing. So and and uh, God love him and R.I.P. Rest in peace, Kurt Hennig, Mister Perfect. Uh, apparently, was someone who was like known to be like a notorious ribber. And uh, Mister Perfect, Kurt Hennig, is on this plane, and he's recently back. He came back as of what Rumble two thousand two, uh, which I was actually at. And him coming out was the best thing in the world. Um, But he actually stayed with the company, which was awesome because I think a lot of people thought he was kind of like done for. But he came back. Perfect shape. No pun intended. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I think he was just happy to kind of like be back on the road and with the guys again. And now he kind of feels like he's this older guy and he needs to like teach the young kids like how it was done back in the day. Maybe and even I, assuming, that, and even though that's not cool, there's an element of me that sympathizes with it because of what I always understood about Kurt Hennig is that he really was sort of just a big kid right. his whole life. I, I've heard that a lot, but he apparently was also a notorious uh, a halcyon uh, giver. Yeah, that see that pisses me off. Well, because well, well, the thing is that uh, he did a couple things on this flight. Apparently, <laughs> apparently it was a it was a good time for for uh, Kurt Hennig. Uh, I'll give him the pass in that he there is no alleged sexual assault uh, tied to this. Uh, but uh, Kurt Hennig does 
uh, Brock Lesnar, uh, you know, former, at this time, not at this point, but currently, presently, in the present time, former uh, Universal Champion, former UFC Champion. Brock Lesnar still very new, very green in the company of WWF. And I guess Kurt Hennig, again, being the, the old dog, wants to teach the Rook a new trick. So Brock Lesnar is asleep in his seat and Kurt Hennig pours shaving cream on his head and then slaps it so it goes all over Brock Lesnar. That's like a, oh, you got me kind of rib. Exactly. That is a, that's the perfect example of that, which is, all right, that made a mess. And ha ha ha, 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 ha what are you doing? Right. Please don't. But in the end, like I said earlier, we're sitting here for seven hours. Right. Which. In- <laughs> that's almost an acceptable kind of boys will be boys. The, almost. But the retaliation, I don't think the punishment fit the crime. Where Lesnar is so upset that it has happened. And, and this is like a like a, a, a total gotcha moment. Lester freaks out and like goes after Kurt Hennig and like chases him around the plane and eventually like catches up to Hennig and like tackles him. And these two guys are like Greco Roman wrestling uh, in the aisleways and apparently goes up against the emergency door. And all the wrestlers are kind of like getting fearful now that somehow these two, these two brutes are going to dislodge the emergency door. They're all going to fly out and, and die, uh, Goldfinger style. Um, the the flight attendant actually made it clear that it would have been almost impossible. Right. But it, but it would have depressurized the plane, though. They would have had a made emergency landing in the ocean. Right. So there was some fear. Um, but... Um, oh, hell, even if you had told me in that moment... Oh, there's no problem. I'd have been like, yeah, there's a problem. No, there's a huge problem. That door is coming off. Right. Sir, it cannot, it physically cannot come off. That door's coming off. Have you seen Brock Lesnar? Like, (laughs) like this, this could come off. Um, so there's that fighting eventually is broken up because everyone's now at this point, everyone goes from like, ha 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 to, okay, you're going to kill us. Stop it. So eventually they have to stop fighting. Um, beyond that, uh, Kurt Hennig does, like I say, uh, do the uh, the Halcyon deal, which I guess essentially is a roofie. Um, uh, it, okay, so apparently the drug Halcyon, it, they call it an H-bomb is what I Okay, they call it H-bomb, okay. Um, but he does it to uh, Road, what is he like, something to do with the talent. They, they keep changing his official name, they even said, to Michael P.S. Hayes. Uh, former wrestler, former uh, Freebird, uh, works for WWF, he was Doc Hendricks for a while. Um, but I guess uh, he he did the H bomb to to Michael P S Hayes, who is now like like you know basically out on his feet and just acting weird because that's kind of the 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 funny part of the of the whole thing. One yeah, of the it's good that camera phones weren't a thing back oh then. Oh my god! There, there would have been a lot of these would have been YouTube videos floating around, folks. I know that one of the stories not mentioned on the episode actually involved uh, a completely incoherent. Michael P.S. Hayes, before he passed out, apparently pulled his dick out and Jesus. and uh, in front of Linda McMahon. Like, oh, nice. he made his way into the front. Um, oh, my God. And apparently somebody stopped him because uh, not trying to assault her, not trying to expose himself to her, was in his stupor imagining that he was in the bathroom oh, and he was okay, trying okay, okay. to urinate uh only yeah. vince, vince mcmahon's wife linda mcmahon is sitting there instead right 
Uh, no mention of that. No mention of that. I guess that that was small potatoes well, compared to this. Compared to other things that are are, are yet to uh, to happen. So Michael PSA is officially H bombed and he's acting bizarre. Everyone's kind of laughing at him, and he sees uh, wrestler JBL, um, <laughs> who is who is currently I think sleeping. I think he's just like sleeping in his seat, and for for no particular reason, he decides he's he's not happy with JBL. And walks up and punches JBL uh, in the face. Uh, I guess I guess he JBL had gotten opened up from a match he had at some point during the week, and he hit him like kind of in that button for the most part. But JBL wakes up though, and he's like, "What the hell did you just do?" That's the only time we'll ever like kind of be on JBL's side of like. You don't punch a man when he's sleeping. You don't punch anyone when they're sleeping. Maybe you're on his side. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. This might be the only act of this entire trip that I support. Oh, okay, okay. You're, you're happy about this. Because um, I have dreams. I have fantasies about punching JBL while he's asleep. <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. Uh, punches JBL. JBL kind of wakes up and he's like, no, I don't think so. And actually knocks out uh, Michael uh, Hayes with a, with a punch of his own. Um, a clothesline from hell on the plane ride from hell. <laughs> but, uh, so Hayes goes down. I guess they put him back in a seat. Um, and Hayes goes down. Hayes is pretty much out. You don't really hear much, uh, much from Hayes himself throughout this. But while Hayes is asleep, well, I guess one of Hayes' roles is somewhat to do with, like, how matches are booked. Maybe who goes over yeah, Jim Ross, in his interview, when he's explaining who Michael Hayes was and what his position was in the company, he said he didn't recall what title he actually carried at that time. Was he a producer? Was he a booker? Was he an agent? Was he blah, blah, blah? And I really thought it was kind of clever when Jim Ross said, it doesn't matter what they're called, it's the same job. Vince just likes to change the name around. Right, right. So with Michael Hayes unconscious at this point, basically, and probably for, for better, so he's not making more of a, an ass of himself. Uh, X-Pac, Sean Waltman, who is on the flight, uh, who has not been particularly happy with how he's been booked because uh, Michael Hayes is, I guess, keeping him down or so he feels, uh, decides to cut Michael Hayes's famous uh, ponytail mullet uh, off, of, <laughs> off of his head and uh, holds it up like a trophy Almost like you're you're beheading Medusa and showing it to the to the gods that you've done it, um, and shows the, the shows the rest of the people on on the the flight and they're all they're all cheering for him or whatever. Michael Hayes blissfully unaware. Uh, I don't think I don't think he actually comes to until they land. Um, and the Michael Hayes is obviously very, very upset about what happened and he's... In- yeah, there's some con, uh, conflict over when he discovered it. He woke, there's some people that say he woke up and realized it was gone and freaked out. There's some that say it was only when he saw his reflection, uh, in a window after getting off of the airplane. Um, but definitely by the time they got to the show for Monday Night Raw, uh, his ponytail reappeared. In a Ziploc bag, taped to a wall, or was it his his office door? No, I think it was like the talent's dressing room door. I mean, that's pretty intense. An eyebrow is one thing. Your hair, I, it takes a long. As a man who has grown his hair long, many different times in his life, that shit doesn't happen quickly. Right. That's not something you want to end until you want to end it. 
Right. Well, dramatically altering someone's look who has to look a certain way or like they're kind of in charge as much as they can be with Vince McMahon existing of their own look. I mean, hair could be a, a, a pretty big deal. It could be a real big deal. Or eyebrow could be a really big deal. Um, so I think Jim Ross actually was the one who took the ponytail off the, the thing. And, and throughout this whole thing, Jim Ross pretty much condemns all behavior on the plane, telling them that they're acting like children. Apparently, Jim Ross never had a beer or, you know, laughed at a joke in his life. Um, but, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell. I don't mean this to be mean. Jim Ross, who has had at least one stroke in his life and has had uh, Bill's palsy as well, um, his, you know, he can't really emote to, and he's getting older, is also that. He can't really emote in his face very much. So he kind of has that, like, mean mugging bulldog look, you know, just in general. doesn't matter, you know, if he's happy or not. So it, it's, but I mean, he's pretty much condemning all the behavior on this. Because I think he had to also be like a chaperone. And and more so felt like a chaperone the, the more the, the plane ride took place, the more people became belligerent and out of control. Well, at the time he was the head of talent relations. And in Vince McMahon's eyes, that means you are head babysitter. Right. And so uh, there was no, there was never a greater need for a babysitter than on this flight. And Ross failed in that job. Right. I mean, he failed in that job. Was he outnumbered? Was there anything he could have done? There probably wasn't anything he could have done. But regardless, he just didn't do anything. And so that's the problem. Right. That's the problem. He didn't even try to do anything from what I understand. Also, that's going to fall back on Vince some too. If Vince is on this plane and he is not doing anything to stop it, you can't, Vince, you cannot blame that on Jim Ross. You can't blame it on a couple of drug addicts. You can't blame it on a couple of uh, of out of control ribbers. I mean, you when it, when you want the buck to stop with you, Vince, you say the buck stops here. But any other time, I mean, come on, dude, you got a pocket full of get out of jail free cards, and it usually the flip side of that card is sending somebody else to jail, <laughs> right in your place. Like, I mean, he is. Cats have nine lives. Vince McMahon has 109. Very true. Very true. Uh, also on the plane is uh, Terry Runnels, uh, a.k.a. Terry Runnels, a.k.a. Marlena. Uh, and uh, she's been in the wrestling world for quite a long time as a valet a manager. Um, maybe she wrestled a little bit. She wrestled a little bit, I a think. A little bit. In the Attitude Era when Vince just made people who weren't wrestlers at all get in the ring <laughs> And force them to wrestle. Right. At this point, though, she is the ex-wife to another uh, passenger on the plane, a wrestler, uh, uh, Dustin Runnels, uh, a.k.a. Dustin Rhodes, uh, who is also... A.k.a. Goldust. A.k.a. Goldust, at this point, I should say. And um, speaking of people who have had substance abuse problems in the past, I mean, Goldust, Dustin Rhodes, Dustin Runnels has been very open about that throughout the years. And uh, at this point, they are exes, and I guess uh, Dustin Rhodes is uh, longing to be with Terry Runnels once again. And uh, This is something I didn't know about. This I didn't know about either. See, again, this is part of the 15% that I did not know about. I did not know that Dustin had continued to pine for Terry Runnels and apparently was not ashamed of it and made uh, public overtures... Um, and, and this one was apparently uh, a particularly egregious one uh, because he had a captive audience. Sure. Literally. 
Well, Terry Reynolds, I think, according to her story, was sleeping and then all of a sudden heard a what she referred to as a very familiar voice on the uh, the PA system of the uh, of the plane. And it's funny because she said that and my immediate thought was she was talking about someone else because earlier in the episode, she talks about how she was uh, backstage once and Brock Lesnar actually exposed himself to her. And I don't know... I had never heard that. I had never heard that. And the thing is, why mention that? If if not only to kind of like... Maybe kind of foreshadowing for what, what was to come later in the episode uh, with Ric Flair. But it is kind of odd to me. Only Not, not that that shouldn't be pointed out or that shouldn't be mentioned. Because that, if that happened, that absolutely happened. And I guess it's worth mentioning. But it didn't happen on the plane. I understand your mm. I understand your question. I think yeah. it's a valid one, but I also remember that when she's telling that story, she is talking about how obviously she and Dustin had already been divorced for a few years at this point. Right. That it was Dustin uh, who witnessed Lesnar expose himself to Terry, and Dustin gave Terry the advice to quote, "Don't sell it," right? And of course. If you're listening to this podcast, you know what selling means. But it's obviously the pro wrestling term that means to acknowledge that it happens. To make sure others acknowledge your acknowledgement. And so for Dustin to tell Terry, don't sell Brock exposing himself to you, is to, one, I assume, not give Brock the satisfaction. Right. Two, not go snitch and get Brock in trouble. And three... Don't give yourself the reputation of a snitch. Right. And I think she was telling that because she gets that same advice later on the plane. Right. Only this time with regard to Dustin's actions, uh, instead of the message coming from Dustin, instead the words of warning come from Paul Heyman. Right. Which is, again, don't sell it when uh, Dustin Runnels decides to take the the microphone or the, the, the phone PA and sing uh, David Allen Coe. Is that correct? Yeah. David Allen Coe. A familiar song. I guess maybe that song meant something to both of them. But he, you know, Dustin Runnels in a, in a bad way right now, out of his mind, drunk. Uh, I, I won't even speculate if, if he took any pills or like that, but we know drunk for sure. Um, and it's just kind of embarrassing for her. So Paul Heyman says, like, don't even, like, look up, don't acknowledge it, just, like, ignore it, it'll stop. Uh, the, the stewardess, who we haven't really spoken about too much, who's having to deal with all this as it's happening, by the way, she's kind of doing damage control here and there. The story's more directly about her soon, um, but she's the one trying to get the, the mic away from, uh, Dustin, who just won't give it up. He's going to, I think he maybe even finishes the song. And the only way she can get the mic back is he eventually passes out and she just kind of walks up and like takes it from him. Um, so <laughs> I'm sure the rest of the wrestlers didn't appreciate that either. And, and they really didn't. Right. And that was something I thought was weird. I thought surely him singing this song to his ex-wife who doesn't want to hear it. Uh, is that unwelcome? Sure it is. But I was really surprised that everybody thought this was such a big deal when there were highly illegal things happening and yet everybody wants to get the most upset about Dustin Rhodes singing a song right. over a microphone. The only explanation to me is 
it must have just gone on and on and on and on because otherwise, why is everybody so upset about this? It's true. You know, he didn't then go grab Terry. You know, he didn't threaten Terry. He j- he literally just sang a song while other people are assaulting one another, drugging one another, that's actually destroying a, property. That's actually a good point. But yeah, um, so like that again, that's like drunken shenaniganry that can happen if you're anyone who is drunk. Singing a song to a to a your unrequited love. I've rarely been to a Christmas party, especially an office Christmas party, where somebody did not drunkenly serenade somebody else that they either used to love or were currently secretly in love with, and alcohol got to them. And not one of those resulted in any uh, documentaries. <laughs> any documentaries. <laughs> that, that, yeah. that, that that is fair. I think it was more to justify Terry Runnell's appearance on the episode. You know, it raises a weird question for me, though. Go for it. This would have been about the same time, or or actually right before Brock Lesnar ends up married. Yeah, I was going to say, it's ironic that he got nowhere with Terry Runnell's, but got everywhere with Rena Mero. So, does that mean... If Terry Reynolds is telling the absolute truth and Brock Lesnar decided to approach a co-worker and in the most inappropriate way possible, reveal his naked genitalia to her. He, she's trying to stick it to Rena Mero? Uh, no, not... Well, I mean, maybe. That's what, but, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Well, like, he tried me, honey, and I said, no, I'm glad you had him, whatever. Well, that... There, there, there could be some of that. Again, I mean, that, that goes back to what are the what are the motivations of the people could talking? Be. It could be. That could be a very petty motivation out of Terry Reynolds. It could be. Possibly. 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 I'm, I'm more afraid of the possibility... I'm very much more afraid of the possibility that Brock Lesnar exposed himself to every woman in that locker room, and Rena Mero happened to be the only one that said... Hey, we did okay. If that's, <laughs> I'm not condoning that, but I'm saying like if that worked, that's that's the one you want it to work on. Well, he's, I, I mean, suppose. Well, I guess, but I mean, how awful is that? It's like the dude who goes to the bar and hits on every single girl because one of them is bound to say, "Okay, sure, what the hell." But Brock's doing it by exposing himself. I mean, that's what it says well, to me. Yeah, you don't do that. Obviously. He does that to Terry, and then he marries Sable. Okay, mm. was Terry the only person that he ever exposed himself to? That's not that's not likely. Well, that's also not fair to say at the same point, at the same time. I mean, it's not fair to say because I have no evidence to prove it otherwise. Uh, again, again, we're, we're trying to explain this. I don't, I, can't, I don't speak for you, Darren. I never have and never will. Uh, but I'm not trying to add to this. I'm oh, not I'm trying not. I, to add to I'm this. not either. I'm just telling you where my mind wandered. I'm saying, uh, j- just like I said, it's maybe there's something with Terry Reynolds trying to go. Ah, gotcha. Could so be. Rita Mara, I'm saying possibly that could be a motivation for even telling that bit of the story. But but no, I I'm glad you say that because I couldn't agree more. I'm also not trying to add to this. I'm just saying yeah. where I can't help but my mind wander because, I mean. If this, you know how much footage must have been shot for this? Like, how much did we not see from just what Vice aired? Nazi? (laughs) Only bad thing that wasn't involved were Nazis in this. Speaking of JBL on a European tour. Whoa! um, So, the Terry Runnels 
situation. It, it really makes Dustin look bad. It makes Lesnar look bad. Um, well, it makes Lesnar look the worst. And you know, as far as you know, at least at least Dustin and Terry were married. So like, but basically, it's them having like it's like a relationship issue more or less. You know, Terry is not in any danger at all from Dustin. Um, I, there are zero reports of Dustin ever being like physical with Terry that I'm aware of. Um, so, so there's that. Again, th- th- this is just part of the story. We don't really need to do all this part at all. The, the bigger question is why is it even part of the episode? Which you actually you actually asked that as well. So, so if the Terry Dustin thing is the most minor incident, and it sounds like it is. The biggest bombshell to come out of this um, this uh, episode of Dark Side of the Ring are the allegations against Ric Flair. Now, in a way, they're not new because Ric Flair had to go to court for this. So some of this was well known. Maybe not to everyone. Maybe it wasn't widespread. But Ric Flair landed himself in court for his part in the plane ride from hell. And now, here we are almost 20 years later, it's almost like it just happened or just the right or just the right people or just the wrong people or however you want to look at it have pushed it back to the surface. And the allegations are, of course, that Flair uh, stripped naked and forced himself uh, on Heidi Doyle. To back up a little bit, though, Ric Flair is known to, uh, as, as the other wrestlers performers say, uh, strip down to nothing but his robe and kind of strut around and, uh, quote, helicopter his penis to the delight of all the wrestlers who think that's uh, very funny. Who was it that said Ric Flair's penis was a hammer? I think Tommy Dreamer did. Tommy Dreamer. Oh, Tommy. Oh, Tommy, just sh- <laughs> shut up now, Tommy. I, I believe, shut up right now. I believe it's uh, Dreamer. Um, but yeah, they, they everybody, several of them talk about how large Ric Flair's penis is. Okay, well, that's the first time I've ever I heard about. I know he himself refers to it as Space Mountain. I, I thought, you know, that's just, you know, him saying whatever. But anyway, it's the first time I've heard that, like, Ric Flair actually is somewhat well in doubt. That's not the point, though. But anyway, that, that that's setting the scene. So he was already only wearing a robe at this point. That, that's, I wanted to point that out of the story. Uh, but Heidi Doyle, the stewardess, was actually in the... Uh, is it called the galley? Is that where they keep the, the food and the beverages or whatever? Maybe preparing food and beverages for, you know, someone else. Oh, quick question. She mentioned that not only is this the height of luxury and there's, you know, full-size liquor bottles and they can do whatever they want... Did she say there was food to order? Yes. What? <laughs> that means there has to be, well, maybe not a full, like, uh, diner kitchen. There has to be a proper kitchen on this plane sure. if there's food to order. Sure, sure. What? F- focus, Darren. Focus. Okay, sorry. Focus. I just imagine being on an airplane over the Atlantic and being like, I want a patty melt. And lasagna? And lasagna. <laughs> and a full lasagna. I want a lasagna made of patty melts. Yeah, oh, sure. Oh, like six stacked patty melts with a real good marinara sauce e- on it. Easy, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> so, anywho, 
Anywho. So she's in the galley. She's in the galley preparing food or drink, doing her job. She's, she's at work. These people are, are partying their hearts out. And she, this poor girl is at work having to clean up after everything. So uh, Ric Flair stumbles in, according to her story, stumbles in and I think he wants a Coke, I believe it is. Yeah. Uh, of all things, of all things, he's thirsty for a Coca-Cola. Um, at least maybe that's that's the Coke that he was wanting at the time. We don't know. We don't know. Speculation. No, no. Uh, he came in for, for a beverage and uh, I guess he saw Heidi, a young Heidi Doyle stewardess. And this is a guy who I remember when they had that like animated like show on the network. About like, oh, crazy stories about WWF? Well, here's an animated, you know, we're going to, the wrestlers are going to tell the story. uh, Or eyewitnesses will tell the story and we'll have fun animation to kind of show you. But one of the episodes involved Ric Flair and flight stewardesses. According to the story, the stewardesses wanted to see Ric Flair wear his robe and nothing else. And he did. And they're all like, yeah, Ric Flair, Space Mountain. Um, so I guess Ric Flair has had great success with this in the past. Well, there is the line in the sand, however. There is the issue of consent. Sure, sure. If he was minding his own business on a plane and a group of flight attendants requested such action and he obliged, while his public indecency notwithstanding... Would he have been in the wrong? I say no. But if this woman had no inclination to ask to see a, a naked Ric Flair, and he had no reason to think that she wanted it, then he is absolutely in the wrong yeah. for even appearing in front of her naked. But as you were about to say, it goes much further. Allegedly. Well, sure. Uh, well, I guess before I continue, everything that is alleged to have happened is wrong. You know, trying to force yourself on someone. Uh, obviously, Ric Flair is probably very drunk at this point and does you know forgets that he's even naked after you know being that way for however long. Not condoning. I'm just I'm trying to paint the picture here, folks. Um, but he, he comes into the galley and, again, sees a young Heidi, you know, st- sees a young stewardess and says, like, oh, you're going to you're gonna like what I have. Check me out. And and she's just not having it. She's like, okay, huh, sir, you know, haha. Again, the poor girl's at work. It's like having a bad customer and, like, you're a server. And it's like, this tastes like dog food. Bring me another. And you go, yes, sir, I will. It is dog food. You have to kind of be like, oh, you're right and I'm an idiot. So I think she's kind of in worker mode, you know? She's not even like, I'm a woman, I need to defend myself against a man mode. She's still trying to be professional, bless her heart. And, you know, obviously this documentary makes her to be a very sympathetic person. She seems to be honest from what I can tell. I, I'm I'm Team Heidi, everyone. I am Team Heidi. She seems... She not, seems... Reason- the thing is, she seems reasonably honest. She be- does. Because, because she does give a lot of leeway. Like, Ric Flair was very nice to me. Throughout the rest of the tour. And then this happened. Like, to me, that makes it more like, okay, well, she she's being very fair. It, and it, she doesn't need to give this guy anything. Sure. That, especially, that, that, if he's gu- especially if he's guilty of what she says he's guilty of. Right. She's being incredibly fair to not excuse it, but be forgiving of his overall character right. in light of what allegedly occurred. Which... 
taking it, taking her behavior that way actually makes me feel a little more sympathetic toward Tommy Dreamer and what he said. Okay, well, hang on there, Darren, and be very careful with that one. We're going to have to really address that later. Um, just, you know, clarifications or whatever. But uh, to, to finish this part, which is not to be, you know, brushed over, but I do want to mention what is said by Heidi Doyle, which is basically Ric Flair came in and said, you know, like, you know, you, in, in so many words, you like what you see. And she was kind of like, no, I don't really like it. This, this woman's married. She just had a child. She's recently returned back to work. So, I mean, she's not even single. So even if she were into it, she is in the very least faithful to her husband. And it's just like, no, no, thank you. I know you're famous. Whatever. I don't care. I'm not into that. And But Ric Flair apparently not taking no for an answer doesn't force himself on her. Doesn't necessarily assault her in, in the sense of an assault, a sexual assault. But, however, according to Heidi Doyle, does make her, like, basically puts his hand on her hand and puts her hand on his, you know, genitals for the lack of a better term. Um, I, this, this feels gross talking about, by the way, folks. It's not easy for me. But, I, again, painting the picture for you. So, I mean, but as far as I know, it stopped there because Dustin Rhodes, I think it's Dustin Rhodes who actually comes in and says, like, hey, hey, Rick, don't do that or whatever. I think it's him that, I, I don't want to, I don't know if it stops it or, you know, mentions something to Flair and Flair kind of goes like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't, she doesn't want this. And 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 that that's that's what we're we're led to believe from the accounts on this documentary. Um, so there's that Rob Van Dam who's doing a lot of talking and saying like, "Yeah, we used to roofie people all the time back in the day. It's what you did." Very incriminating of all wrestlers. Like, it makes you think that all wrestlers are like, "Yeah, we h bomb anyone, have our way with them." And Jim that's, Ro- that, well, which Jim is not Ro- cool. No, no, of course it's not cool. Jim right. Ross says that the the boys, which means all of them the boys you're casting a wide net and that's also a problem with this is you're gonna <laughs> i'm gonna say this and i'm gonna leave it in the episode you're a, you're you're duke lacrossing all these wrestlers you know what i mean where they're they're guilty they're doesn't matter they're guilty all wrestlers must do this you know what i mean and that's not fair to the wrestlers who don't fucking do that. Yeah. It is a small percentage of, of wrestlers who behave this way. And again, like I said, that plane was full of people. But you hear about these five or six specifically. All right. Well, then to that point, um, Jim Ross says the boys love to see someone unconscious foaming at the mouth. Right. Uh, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> the boys love that? Like you just said, he mean when he says that, whether he means to or not, he's saying all of them. Right. This is where I say, to your point, even if it's not all of them, does anybody stop anybody on this flight from those actions? Right. No. Did anybody stop this type of behavior during what was presumably decades of this type of misbehavior? No. And in this sense, inaction is endorsement. If you're not stopping it, you might not be causing it, but you're part of the problem. Guilty by association. If Paul Heyman turned a blind eye and tried to encourage Terry Runnels to turn a blind eye, then 
they're no better. None of them are any better. Now, do you not respond in that moment out of fear? Okay. Do you not respond the next day because out of fear for losing your job? Okay. Do you wait 20 years? No, damn it. You do something. You, you know what I mean? Like we mentioned earlier about Jesse Ventura trying to organize a labor union. Well, it cost him everything. But he stood up for something that he believed was right because he believed that the treatment of the wrestlers in that respect was wrong. I'm just telling you right now, if I'm in that locker room, I don't care if it means The Undertaker's going to knock my lights out. I don't care if it means that Jim Ross and Vince McMahon are going to send me packing. I'm not going to stand there and watch people almost kill other people for a laugh. Right. No, I agree with that. And I'm not going to stand there and watch these giant hulking brutes in various states of intoxication and adrenaline fevers sexually assault women. Sure. If anybody's letting any of this happen and they're watching it and they're not stopping it, they are guilty. They are guilty. Well, I mean, uh, as far as the sexual assault, it was it was not like in the middle of the plane. It, it was in the back room. And a lot of wrestlers at this point were asleep or were like totally out of it. You know, whether drug-induced, whether alcohol-induced. Uh, only a handful that anyone's aware of actually witnessed this happen, including Dustin Rhodes, who did intervene as drugged or, you know, alcoholed up he was, he did do something. RVD says he glanced and saw it happening, and th th this came out after the fact, where he, he says that the editing kind of, like, m like mixed his words up a little bit. The editing on Vice? The editing on Vice. Okay. So, you gotta wonder if, if things were edited a certain way to make people look worse, or... So, this has just come out in the last few days, then? Th this is very... This is, this is hot at the press. Okay. As of, as of recording this, because Flair, okay. Flair and RVD have had a little bit of, like, a... Like, a, what are you doing to me, man? Kind of a thing. But, uh, RVD said that he saw Flair with the girl. And that he was maybe making advances, but it looked like flirting not necessarily he didn't see like him trying to make her touch him so you know rvd was like oh whatever flair Fla oh, oh flair gonna be flair but he didn't see anything like beyond that is okay. what is basically what rvd is saying all right uh, he, he saw a conversation between the two of them basically he didn't see like him forcing anything on sure him. sure sure so he he, he did want to clarify that um i i will say that so Beyond that, Dustin, maybe ask Dustin Rose what he saw, if he even remembers this. You know what I mean? He wasn't interviewed um, for this whole thing. But, I mean, even then, like, how credible is the statement a guy who was, who was, everyone will say, was out of his mind drunk uh, during this whole thing. So, and, um, uh, okay, so, someone who had a very strong opinion about this whole thing, who I don't think saw it, but kind of stood up for Ric Flair, the person is one Tommy Dreamer. Tommy, Aaron. yeah, Tommy Dreamer comes in as a character witness. He comes in as a character witness, absolutely. Tommy, oh, that, that that's your mock trial training right there. <laughs> that's what that is. I saw that, buddy boy. Tommy Dreamer is on this documentary to defend Ric Flair. Talks about some other stuff, but clearly, either he had an agenda to clear Flair's name. Or Vice was setting him up 
to get Dreamer to say X, Y, and Z. And I think they got it. And it's landed Tommy in some hot water. Tommy Dreamer, who I believe his only uh, binding contract in the wrestling world right now is to Impact Wrestling. He's been indefinitely suspended. And I don't know what they're waiting on to make a final determination. I feel like in light of this, like this is the kind of situation where you go, hey, it's just a man talking, so no punishment. Or you fire him. And then you sort it out later. Suspending him indefinitely, what what else are they waiting on? I would say uh, you need to actually tell the audience what was said by Tommy Dreamer. But before you do, I want to I wanna mention that one of the main reasons that I watched this, besides the fact that I knew we had to talk about this on the show, was going into it thinking, Oh my God, what did Tommy Dreamer say? <laughs> so I, I, I wonder how many people watched it Within their mind, thinking like Tommy Dreamer says something awful, and I have to know what it is. So if you if you would hear his statement uh, with that in your brain, knowing that you're supposed to hate what you're about to hear, no matter what he says, and I wonder if that influenced a lot of people's opinions. I'm not backing condoning Tommy Dreamer's opinions; they are his own. But I'm wondering if that swayed anyone's opinion watching it, is and how they how they interpreted what he said is my is my question. What did Tommy Dreamer say, Darren? Tommy Dreamer said that Ric Flair did not do this, right, and that he's never done anything like this, and he is incapable of doing anything like this, and I mean that's pretty much it, right? For the most part, um, I think the dreamers seemed very flippant about it. Kind of like, well, it wasn't a big deal, you know, back then. That happened a lot. The boys are drunk a lot. And like, almost, I mean, and it's kind of like the mentality that most of them have in general. I listen to Jim Cornette's podcast on occasion, and I know I wanted his remarks on the whole thing. And he said kind of the same thing, which is like, I understand it's bad. It's all bad for people who aren't used to that kind of a thing. But it's just what everyone did back then. And it was okay because we all knew that it was you know, happening and it's all contained. And, you know, It's all happening to us. But when you bring in someone who's not part of it, I understand where things go go off yes. or whatever. Yes. And, and, that, and that's very accurate. Basically, yes. you are a traveling circus and someone who's not part of that doesn't understand what you guys are all about. You need to be respectful of like, oh, well, this is what we do. You know, sorry if we're offending you or whatever. Be you know, be be mindful of folks who aren't you know part of the part of the the rabble uh, of of of, uh, of carnies for the most part. But uh, if you will, so there's that. But Dreamer even goes as far. Uh, I think this is the kind of the nail in the coffin as far as people going like, oh, fuck Tommy Dreamer. Is that he says, like, if she really felt the... And he's talking about Heidi Doyle, who said this happened to her, you know, and Ric Flair. Uh, says, if this really, truly happened to her, then maybe she shouldn't have just taken a settlement and should have actually gone after Flair. And instead, oh, she, you know, I think what he's saying is like, well, she just took money. So that was enough for her, you know. And that really, um, that really grinded a lot of people's gears that he said that. And I, I don't condone what he said. Tommy Dreamer's opinions are his own. I don't agree necessarily. But I see what he was trying to say. 
Because before he even got into that, he, he goes and says, like, you know, everything these days. And it became about, like, the way things are today. Um, and, and he said, like, you know, everything these days are going to annoy someone or offend someone. My hair. The fact that I have my hair in ponytail, that annoys, that offends people. I know. And I'm with you there. I'm I, like, okay, sure. What? Oh, no, no. Now, now I'm not with you anymore, Tommy Dreamer, as soon as he leaves that point. Well, here's the thing. Right. Like, Man, I've heard that bullshit before. Sure. I may have even almost uttered similar words before. His hair's in ponytail right now, folks, just so you know. He's not, got Tommy Dreamer hair. Not just the ponytail. I don't have Tommy Dreamer hair. Yeah, Tommy Dreamer hair. I, my hair is beautiful and luxurious. And Tommy Dreamer, he is an advertisement for the, the spray-on hair. Wow. That, that is Tommy Dreamer. Wow, okay. You've done more damage than Tommy Dreamer than the internet ever. (laughs) What I was saying is I know what Tommy Dreamer is going for because part of his point is right. Today, everyone is offended by everything. It's very true. And that might sound like an old man yelling at the clouds, but it's true. I've seen you do it. And some of it is... uh, is absolutely legitimate. Some of it is performative uh, Twitter baiting. Like, that's what it is a lot of the time. And that's who Tommy Dreamer's talking about. And in that respect, Tommy Dreamer is right. However, you used the word flippant earlier, and nothing is more flippant than him trying to compare her offense at being exposed to a, a naked man against her will as being the same as someone not liking this tacky little ponytail on Tommy Dreamer's head. Right, 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 right. And when and I, and I hear people do that all the time. They're like, oh, man, you can't say anything anymore. I can't say that I don't like the color of your shoelaces, man. They'll cancel me. That's a, <laughs> you know, when people say that, I want to say no. Right. You, your your example is not valid. You're an idiot. You probably should be canceled. And based on your shoelaces, yeah. <laughs> I really think that was Tommy Dreamer being uh, obtuse and uh, out of touch and tone deaf. And well, he you just said it. He he is that guy in that moment, and that no guy. one likes that guy. So he's that guy of this episode where it's like, yeah, that stuff happened. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, you're like, geez, I style my hair a certain way. Someone might get raped. It's, it's like, fine. <laughs> like, that's right. That's well, awful. I, I, I don't mean to say it like that, but that's, no, but that's, that, but that's how Tommy Dreamer comes off that, in the episode. Right. Come so on, I, Tommy. I understand why people come, why people. So I understand why people reacted the way they did. It's totally understandable. It's fine. Well, sure. What it does for me is it makes me want to say, here we go, makes me want to say, oh, come on, Tommy, don't do that. You're better than that. But is he better than that? Is this him revealing he is not, in fact, better than that? And I have to be careful to say, Tommy, you're better than that, because that's giving him the benefit of the doubt, and he's in hot water for giving Ric Flair the benefit of the doubt. Right. Maybe Tommy doesn't know the full story about Flair, and Flair has done this before. Or Flair did it maybe only that one time. Potentially. But he, Potentially. D- but he did it 
in a way that was more extreme than Tommy Dreamer is willing to recognize, and Tommy Dreamer is at fault for that. And I, this, this is, uh, I had this thought watching it, where you know Tommy going like, no, no, it, it's fine. Ric Flair never does that. Whatever. I think you know in that way, you know, Tommy Dreamer thinks he's protecting the business. By protecting Ric Flair. Yeah, so I think I, you're I, right. I, th- I think it goes into that old school wrestling mentality for Tommy Dreamer. Not condoning, not agreeing, you know, not saying I, I, I believe what he's saying, whatever. But I'm just saying, like, to me, that's where it kind of seemed like it was happening in the interview. Um, well, very quickly, one, one last thing that does happen to poor Heidi Doyle. After this whole thing happens with Flair, Heidi's trying to, like, still do her job. She's still trying to do her job, clean up behind these people, you know, still kind of serve people drinks or whatever. She's a trooper. She's a trooper, man. You think you had a bad day at work? This That's nothing. Uh, Scott Hall, who we talked about a lot of wrestlers who had substance abuse problems. Scott Hall, very well documented. They even show, like, probably the low point of Scott Hall's life, that for the footage... They showed it. No, they showed it. They showed it. They showed it on uh, on Vice, um, him coming out uh, at a wrestling, like a local wrestling show, and just like can barely like function. Like he looks like he is sleepwalking. It's terrible. It's it's terrifying. It's really it's sad. terrible. And again, the low point of his life. Uh, Scott Hall, though, apparently like, you know, sleeping, passed out, Heidi kind of cleaning up around him, and Scott Hall kind of just wakes up all of a sudden and sees Heidi grabs Heidi by the shirt and brings her close. This actually rips open her her top and says something along the lines of like, I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to lick you or something like that. And proceeds to lick her face. Come on, dude. Um, Which is awful. It's, but com- <laughs> not condoning, not agreeing. Compared to what just happened to her with Ric Flair, I can see where this is like, the cherry on top of like the shit Sunday of a of a night. At the same time, it's not you know making her like forcing her to touch him inappropriately. And and he he actually has a, he's one of the few people that has a statement on the episode that actually like you know in regards to that incident or whatever or that alleged incident or whatever. He says that like he doesn't remember it and he's a guy who had done plenty of drugs and drinking. And he thinks that maybe he was H-bombed, which is why he behaved that way. Um, which, you know, could be totally true. And we saw what H-bombing did to what Michael P.S. Hayes. So that could actually happen to Scott Hall. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying that's what he says. Benefit of the doubt, that's what happened. Doesn't make it right. It still happened. Um, the, the Doesn't deny that it did happen. Just says that he might not have been in his right mind when it did happen is the only thing. Is the only potential saving grace. As far as, like, her being, like, attacked, obviously, Razor's, like, what, six, seven, six, eight. He's a big guy. Um, and he he's just a big lunk. So when he grabbed her, it ripped her shirt open. I don't think he was, like, trying to get her inappropriately. Yeah, I guess. I, 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 will, I will say that. I think that was just an accident because he just grabbed her shirt in general. I'm not saying that's okay. Not saying that's not an assault. That is an assault. I, I totally understand that. That was not his desired um, intention. Um, I, I will, if, you know, that was an accidental thing. I'm sure to his delight because, you know, a, a woman's shirt was ripped open. Maybe, you know, again, whatever. But after that, he passed out. Like, that That was that was the extent of that whole uh, incident. 
which obviously was just, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Heidi Doyle goes back into the galley and, like, does not come out for the rest of the flight. And that poor girl, if she made one mistake, it would be not to grab the emergency parachute and get the fuck out of there when she had the chance. Um, again, Heidi, as far as I can tell, watching it, and if we're to believe anyone, I, I, I believe Heidi the most out of anyone who they interviewed, to be honest with you. Um, and she did nothing wrong. I want to put that out there. The poor woman just tried to do her job. And, you know, if all these things happen to her, my heart goes out to her because that kind of thing stays with you. You don't realize what stays with anyone who undergoes, you know, an, uh, a terrible ordeal or something that seems life-threatening or, like, just something that just, like, kind of cuts you emotionally. It can stay with you, man or a woman, you know. And, and this obviously stayed with her. And she said, like, she's only doing this whole vice thing and talking about it because if it helps anyone in the future who feels this way or, you know, anyone has felt that way in the past. And I thought that was also a very noble thing um, because the whole fallout of this is uh, Scott Hall was fired the next day. Now, whether what he did to her warranted being fired or not is debatable. Um, they, the, Jim Ross makes it clear that it just seems that bringing Scott Hall back on the road, a guy who has had known substance abuse uh, issues and uh, alcohol issues in WCW was very obvious. He made no bones about it. He would drink on air and not in the fun Steve Austin kind of way. And like, uh, okay, he always has a red solo cup in every segment he's in. He's just drinking the entire time when he's at Nitro kind of way. So Scott Hall was let go. Uh, there were no repercussions for Ric Flair until now. Now he's got, uh, what, TV spots that have been pulled because of this. Uh, his The potential of him showing up on any uh, AEW, something like that, has been, you know, they're going to distance him from, from wrestling for a little bit. So maybe it's not a bad thing that he was he asked for his release from WWE. Maybe this was even known at the time. No, I don't know. Darren, what if? What if it was known at the time that this episode would come out? Okay, just put maybe, that maybe. Put that out there. Put that out there. Um, so maybe him leaving the company doesn't look so bad for Vince McMahon anymore. He's kind of like, oh, thank God I agreed to that release. Um, so Ric Flair in hot water now, kind of like getting the comeuppance. And he did, as you mentioned, go to court over this whole thing, uh, which I guess did turn into a settlement out of court. Um just kind of make it all, you know, just kind of put it all behind us or whatever. Because the other stewardess on board, she actually did file the lawsuit. Um, and it kind of encouraged Heidi, like, yeah, you need to also do it because that was that whole thing was fucked up. Um, and, and rightly so. So, I mean, and Rick got his, you know, I, I think Dustin, they talked to him and said, like, you know, straighten out. And, and you know, you can stay. And he did, for the most part. I, I'm, I'm, I think that's accurate. Um, and that's that's kind of it as far as like fallout from it. Kurt Hennig died shortly after this, unfortunately. Um, I think uh, cocaine was involved in that. I mean, and just probably just a lifetime of I, I want to say a lifetime, you know, just being a wrestler where you're in a business where living past 50 is a miracle, you know, but a lot of guys, you know, they go through a lot of punishment. They're on the road all the time that can take a toll on you again, mentally. Uh, psychologically, physically, a lot of them turn to alcohol. They turn to, uh, you know, uh, they turn to, they turn to drugs, pills, whatever, sex, whenever they could get it to cope with that whole thing. 
And again, I don't condone or, you know, try to make excuses for anyone's behavior. Everything, everyone, everything everyone else does is on them. Has little to do with me unless it's happened directly to me. None of this, thank God, involved me. So I get to talk about it, you know, from my third party perspective and say, hey, this is what happened. Um, so try to be unbiased. These are all people that I grew up watching and, you know, they even say don't meet your heroes on the episode, which I find very strange. Uh, they bring that up because it's like, yeah, like, God, I don't want to know anything about these wrestlers at all. Uh, <laughs> I just want to know that they were, they were, the Undertaker's a real dead man, and, and you know, that's fine by me. So, I mean, watch the episode. No one looks particularly great coming out of it, because that's why it's an episode. It's not, it's the, it's the plane ride from heaven, where everyone got along, we had a good time. Like it's it's just not that like it's it's brought up because it's a it's a black eye, as they put it, uh, in the the WWE history and the I guess wrestling history because you want to lump them all together as the boys, um, so it, it makes everyone look pretty bad. But that's uh I mean that, that's kind of it that that's the whole thing we we broke it down almost beat by beat I would say, and uh, yeah, it's what's happening to Flair right now. I mean, as I mentioned at the top, there are people that don't get mentioned at all. There is uh, a reference to Vince and Linda being on the plane by Jim Ross and others, but never any mention of any action taken um, by Vince to to handle anything other than I believe Ross tells uh, that Vince ordered him to go try and settle things down in the back. But uh, other stories that have come out over the years that were not at all addressed by this episode of Dark Side of the Ring was uh, Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle is on the record as saying he was attacked by Vince McMahon on the plane. Not some other wrestler, by Vince McMahon himself. Kurt Angle stated uh, on more than one occasion that a drunken Vince McMahon attacked Kurt Angle. Now... Kurt Angle said he did so playfully because Vince always wants to wrestle the boys. And then yet again, we hear that um, The Undertaker was injured on this European tour and was trying to sleep his injury off. And it was when Angle and McMahon slammed into a sleeping Undertaker that he put Kurt Angle into a... Uh, a chokehold that Angle could not get out of. Well, that's none of that is going to blow the door off the cabin. None of that is sexual assault. None of that is drugging a co-worker. But is that what a billionaire CEO of a company should be doing on a private chartered jet? Is that what the leader of the locker room should be doing? Is that what an Olympic gold medalist should be doing? Right? Even up in the upper part, the first class, luxury upon luxury cabin, we have the 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 brass also acting like children. The brass so, acting like an ass. So if that is the working if that's the working atmosphere, I mean it's it's a thousand well, wonders that anybody survived working in that damn company. Well, that goes back to what I said about, like, you know, are, are people saying enough to incriminate some people without incriminating other people? Where it's like, oh, man, uh, Kurt Hennig, he's not alive. He can't defend himself. 
he was doing all these bad things, but yeah. you know, me, hey, me, 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 just incredible. I was reading a Bible the whole time, uh, so I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know what was going on. I was in deep prayer, so you know, all these guys are creating a ruckus. I think Ric Flair tried to attack someone, but I was, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to, you know, feed these orphans with all the money that I made overseas. I was going to donate, figure out which charity that I wanted to give the money to. This you know, is just so, incredible, right? This is just incredible. He, he's trying to figure out how to pay, he's t- t- to feed all the people in his ECW entourage. <laughs> I mean, Nicole Jack Bass. Victory eats a lot. Okay? I was going to say, Nicole Bass eats enough to feed a small army. Ah, I'm sure. And that's just Nicole Bass. Right, R.I.P. Nicole Bass. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, I, again, that is a story as it was told on Vice. Uh, we've given our thoughts on the whole thing. Uh, it's it's bad. It's if if any of those things are true, they're bad. Some much worse than others. There's no doubt about that. But I mean, I don't I don't drink. I know Darren does not drink as well. Um, Darren always tells his students uh, study hall, not alcohol. <laughs> you just made that up. I did. Mr. Beastly always says study hall, not alcohol. I think I'm going to start saying that, though. I kind of like that. Okay, well, I want money for that. Okay. I, I, I am going to I'm gonna have to patent that. Are you going to form a union? I'm going to form uh, a union, Jesse Ventura style. Or... Aren't you already in the Screen Actors Guild? Yeah, yeah. You're already in a union. I give them money. That union does not hold sway over me. Fair I'm not even in the teacher's union. Does it hold sway over sway, former uh, MTV News? If it does hold sway over sway, it definitely doesn't hold sway over that OG Tabitha Soren. What about uh, you hear it first, Aaron? Kurt Loder? Yeah, Kurt Loder. John John Norris, is that another one? John Norris? I don't know. MTV News? Yeah, John Norris. He's the guy who wasn't Kurt Loder. And that wasn't Chuck Norris. It wasn't Chuck Norris as well. Kennedy. Oh. All right. Kennedy. Calm down. Calm don't get down. me started. We don't, we don't mean Mr. Kennedy either. Well, folks, that is it. Uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you watch Vice? What are your thoughts on the whole Vice situation? Let us know. There are a lot of ways you can let us know. Find us on Facebook. Like and share. We would appreciate that. You can uh, also find us on Twitter. The Whole Ref and Show. Send us a... Gmail, email if you'd like to, the whole ref and show at gmail.com, T H E W H O L E R E F N S H O W at gmail.com, or we are always on Instagram. You can come and follow us and like our pictures, and we will follow you back and we will like your pictures. We are on Instagram as the whole ref and show, T H E W H O L E R E F N S H O. W. Check us out on the social medias and even potentially other platforms in the future. Keep you posted on any updates there. We got some plans there. We do appreciate you stopping by, you hashtag dear listeners, for all the hashtag wrestle news and wrestle views that you love so much. Please come back next time for more of the only wrestling podcast. That calls it right down the middle. The whole ref and show. And once more, my name is Perry Smith. And I am the incredible badass that is Darren Beasley. And we're going to see ya when we see ya. See ya. Hold on!
fucking shining time station. <laughs> Is that Thomas the Train? Yes. And Ringo. Says something... How? How? Because he has his first kids. And George Carlin, though. Not, oh, not yeah, yeah, why yeah. did Ringo agree? How the fuck did that show get George Carlin and Ringo I'm glad we jumped to that, star? by the way. That, that's, I'm, I'm sad that's not on the episode. 